remind me, you are an electrical engineer, right? Uh, no. Well, electromechanical. Oh, great. That's the, yeah. <laughs> we're off to a great start. What, what, what kind of engineer are you? Uh, technically electromechanical. Uh, so a little bit of both kind of focusing in manufacturing. So it's, I don't really have a specific degree. Um, and my degree has never really been, uh, focused. It's focused in manufacturing, but on the electromechanical side and automation, um, I've had electrical engineering jobs, but I've also had mechanical engineering jobs. So I don't want to say I'm an electrical engineer because it's kind of a, I've taken what I could get as I, uh, as I strung along in my career. Okay. And let me ask this. What is your degree in? So technically, uh, I have an associate in mechanical engineering technology. I have a bachelor's in electromechanical engineering technology. And I have a master's in manufacturing systems engineering. And how long did my 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 mind hurts right now? How long did you do these degrees? Obviously, the masters came after the other ones. But were you? I guess oh. walk walk me through the actual sequence of you obtaining these degrees. So, do you want to talk about what I did before I got those degrees? Because I was at Penn State actually in the civil engineering program until my senior year when I dropped out and decided not, it was a terrible idea. <laughs> your senior year, you decided it was a terrible idea? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, uh, so step back. I went to Penn State. Um, well, actually, I went to West Virginia University my first semester, um, and I went for pharmacy school because I was working in a pharmacy, and I thought it would be cool to be a pharmacist, whatever. Hated it, so I uh, took my loan money, went to Penn State, a branch campus, started doing engineering, didn't know what engineering I was gonna do, ended up in the civil engineering program, and then uh, went to main campus, uh, you know, State College, Pennsylvania. So, I mean- Let, let me ask this, just out of curiosity, because I, I, as an engineer myself, I, I know the whole, it's like, okay, I wanna be an engineer. Okay, what kind of engineer do you wanna be? And then they, there's a bunch of them at you. So, um, from somebody that's experienced that, what, how did you end up, you know, landing on civil engineering as opposed to the many other disciplines of engineering that exist? So in the branch campus, they had three different uh, ones they were offering to do the, the beginning two years. So anyone that does engineering, you know, you have your first two years, which are a lot of generics. Um, yeah, they try to weed people out. Yeah, that's us engineer. I don't know about you, but I remember the joke always at Ohio State was if people are out like doing something or just whatever, they'd be like, they must be a business major. That was always the running <laughs> joke with engineers. It's yeah, they're a business major because those first couple of years, I mean, they're they're trying to just kick you in the teeth and weed you out. So I I, I can relate very much so. But uh, well, that I, was always I, my backup. I was like, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll just go to business school. <laughs> so you business majors out there, listen, that's a good degree. Heck, I'm in business right now. Brock is more so. I I think on the business side of things. So we have nothing against business. No, it's of just, course not. It's just poking fun at one another. So no harm, no foul. But um, and if you're offended, then too bad. I guess you'd probably just turn this off already. But um, yeah, deal with it. It's yeah, deal with deal. it. Exactly. In fact, you're a business major. You probably have time to go do something else right now. I mean, don't worry about it. But all right. So you, what were the other two? I'm guessing mechanical and maybe like electrical or something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I actually I didn't do very well. Um, so I liked the party when I was a kid and all that stuff. And you know, I wasn't doing very good. So the people were recommending, you know, oh, go to civil engineering. You know, you'll like it better. Blah blah. blah. I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll try it out. 
So I got into it and I really, I liked project management. I thought that was really cool. I did all the uh, stuff and I did pretty well at Penn State. Um, you know, I had around a 3.0 uh, I was averaging. So, you know, not terrible, not great, but, you know, it's Penn State, big party school, a lot of things to do. Um, did pretty good. So, you know, that's how I ended up falling into civil engineering was basically because they said my grades weren't good enough. I needed like a 3.2 to get into main campus mechanical engineering. Um, but I needed a 3.0 to get into civil engineering. So, boom, there it was. So I went to civil engineering. So it was kind of just by chance, I guess, or my poor grades. In hindsight, do you regret any of that or is it? No, I, no, no, I can't. So I can't regret anything I do because it put me where I am now. And yeah, I can't I really say, complain kind of, about where I am now. <laughs> right. That's a kind of a bad question. I'm like, well, he knows where he is exactly right now, but, um, yeah. At the time I was upset. Uh, let's put it that way. At the time I was a little, you know, I felt like I didn't work hard enough to get to where I needed to be, especially considering I work a lot. I mean, just not even in terms of school, but like in my jobs and stuff, you know, I was working two jobs while going to school. Like it was stuff you had to do just to kind of, you know, do what you had to get through just to make some money and whatever. But, you know, it felt bad that I didn't get in, but at the same time I made the best of it. So. Right. Okay. Now you worked two jobs while you were going to Penn State. Yes. What were these two jobs? Because uh, I, I this is uh. Did you listen to Carl's? I did actually. I listened to it two days ago. Or okay. Day because ago, he he was beast mode in it, working in school, and we had that conversation of, well, you know, I'm in school, so I can't work, so I can't do anything, and. And as Carl and I discussed, okay, maybe in some instances, maybe you can get away with that. But it's looking like we now have another data point to join the club of somebody that was working hard uh, during school. So what were these two jobs? Uh, it was a valet on Friday, Saturday night. And What's Sunday the best morning. car you've ever driven? Uh, it was, at the time, it was a Maserati um, and also a Porsche Cayman or Cayenne, the SUV. It was the Turbo S. It was fantastic. The guy gave me his credit card and 20 bucks and said, go fill the tank. It was amazing. I blew the doors off of it. I drove it for like wow. 10 minutes. It was fantastic. So it was at a country club, you know, it was one of those things, a bunch of rich people go in there, but the tips were good. So, and it was cash. So I stood around, I sat around, I studied, and then when a car would come in, I'd go valet and come back to studying. So, plus you make so some you good paid, relationships. So you got paid to study and then also paid to, like you just said, build network and build relationships. That sounds like a good gig to me. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Um, the other job was I was still uh, doing farmers. I was still working in a pharmacy as a pharmacy tech. So because I went to West Virginia for that semester um, to be in pharmacy school, you know, that's kind of it just held over. So what did you get paid from for that pharmacy job? Oh, uh, Eight fifty an hour, maybe. Okay, all right. It was just... nothing. I mean, but I had worked at it was a it was a grocery store called Wegmans. My whole family works there or worked there. Um, like a lot of my family from Turkey that came over, they worked there. Um, you know, it was a it was a good enough job. You know, did what it was. Um, taught me a lot. A lot of people I knew started from cashier, ended up in the pharmacy tech area. By the time I was like seventeen, so. Awesome, awesome. Okay, I, I did not know this about you either, but you're from Turkey, and what yeah. was it? Was it your parents? I mean, I get walk us through the whole. I mean, who who came over here to establish you know, oh. the roots here in America, or is this like? So my dad's American. Long, okay, um, he met my mom, who's Turkish. Okay, um, and I came over here when I was pretty young. I mean, I was like one when I came over, so it wasn't anything you know huge. But a lot of my family started coming over, and 
you know, going from there. So, okay. So your dad met your mo- mom in Turkey. Yes. Was he in the the military or how? Yeah, did, Air I'm, Force. I'm not trying to get in the. Okay, oh, the yeah, Air yeah. Force. Okay. Yeah, they met um, mutual friends, whatever it was. They met, then you know, got married, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then you know, had a kid and came over to the U.S. And that kid was you. That kid was me. That kid was me. So. Do you have any brothers or sisters? Only child. Uh, Only I have child. a stepbrother, stepsister, but. Um, you know, sometimes I say it would be nice to have a brother and sister, but my wife has a brother and I realize why I don't, I'm glad I don't have a brother or sister. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go, well, maybe we'll go down that path. I'm, I'm curious though, from your mom and from what you um, remember and upbringing wise, was she not, I don't know anything about Turkey, so I'm not like throwing them under the bus, but did she kind of just maybe parent you in a way that says, hey, you, you got a lot to be because her perspective is coming very much different. Whereas, you know, from if you've always grown up in the United States, I, I feel like maybe there might be some different perspectives, some different viewpoints on maybe taking some things for granted. I mean, did your mom ever tell you any stories or anything that kind of helped in your oh, upbringing? Yeah. I mean, that's uh, that I think that played a huge part. I mean, my dad as well. Um, you know, he worked because my mom barely had a high school education. So, you know, what kind of job could she really get with a high school education? She barely spoke English, you know, so she worked, she worked at a pharmacy. She worked at a grocery store. She did a lot of those things. She worked two jobs. So, you know, hard work was instilled. You have to work hard. You know, um, my family that would come over from Turkey, uh, you know, it, we could get into a whole political thing about people coming in, you know, to the country from other countries, but that's a whole nother thing. But, you know, them coming over, I mean, they, they had really good jobs in Turkey, but they wanted to come to America, but they took less jobs to come here and they worked their butt off. You know, um, it didn't matter if it wasn't the best job, but they still worked their butt off and they grew and they did what they had to do to establish residency and, you know, bust their ass essentially, excuse my language, but you know, they did what they had to do to get really good jobs and seeing that in my family, you know, my grandfather, my uncles, you know, my aunts, they all worked and they worked hard. So, um, that was just something that was always instilled in me was that hard work ethic that, you know, no one's going to give you anything. You have to, you know, you have to fight for it. So. And I would assume that they came over in like a legal fashion. There is, there is. Oh yeah. Is that a, <laughs> yeah. That process I'm, is terrible. Um, you know, some took five years, some took 10, 15 years to get over. So, um, and I'm not trying to get political. I'm not trying to get political either, but in my mind, I mean, think about, I have zero problem with it because I mean, if it takes that long, could it be sped up? Sure, but like I said, you—they're taking less paying jobs. They're going through. It sounds like just a massive hassle of a process. So if people are willing to take less pay and go through a, a big old headache, bring them on in because if those aren't quality people that are ready to work hard, ready to contribute to a society, to the economy, I don't know what is. I mean, so. That's why I'm not, and you know, I'm not trying to turn this totally political, but I don't have a problem with barriers to an extent. Can we make barriers efficient? Sure, but if people are willing to cross those barriers, go over them, take less paid job, I mean, then that's got hard work written all over it. I mean, that's, um, so I, I think that's, uh, and I know where this is headed in a broad sense because I know where your story goes, but I think you're uh, a good data point in the sense of, uh, yeah, make people do it the right way and those people that want to do it the right way, I, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of 
by default, ready to ready to bust their tail and, and get it done. So, all right, we were were do. Did you have any? Because I don't no, want to make this no, a one sided no, statement. So, no, 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 no. It's all right. I, I completely agree. I mean, that's okay. Like, could it be more efficient? Yes, but should you still go through those barriers if you want to be here? I agree. So, yeah, yeah, I'm with exactly. You. Okay. Feel free to disagree though. That's kind of, I don't know, maybe the fans want disagreements. Maybe we can stage one a little bit later on, but I don't know. Sometimes us engineers, we all kind of have a very similar mindset. So now circling back, I mean, do you have any, let me ask you this. Somebody tells you, you know what? I'm in college. I don't have a lot of time to work. Uh, I mean, what, what is your whole thought process towards that? Because, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to do here is hopefully some younger people listen to this and if they're kind of teetering or if people are kind of surrounded by a bunch of people that are like, oh, you can't work or, you know, that negative mentality, I, I want to try to offer them the other side of the equation. So hopefully you kind of are in the same thought process as me. But I mean, what is your just view in general of, you know, working while you're in college? If you say you can't, that's absolutely ridiculous. I'm sorry. That, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There's jobs on campus. There's jobs off campus. There's bars. There's restaurants. I mean, people have to eat. There are so many places that you could go get a job. Uh, I mean, hell, even frats will pay you to do stuff around their their house for them. I mean, you can always find a job. I think, what is it? Uh, was it Penn State? There was another college that started up um, – moving companies, right? So when people would move, it was a bunch of guys got together, rented a van and started moving people's furniture at the end of the year that people didn't want to take. So they'd come get their junk and, you know, what is it? 1-800-GOT-JUNK or something like that. Yeah. Hun- they, isn't it like hunks with hunks yes, moving junk or something? Like, is that, that what you're, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's always something that you can do. And if you say you don't have time, I, I kind of disagree. Cause I mean, in engineering, what you're taking six classes a semester, almost something like that. It's like 18 credits usually. Um, yeah, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done, but you have to prioritize. I mean, if you're not prioritizing your time with play and, you know, work and sustenance, I mean, if you want to feed off of, you know, your parents teat for the rest of your life, that's fine. But at the same time, you know, what are you gaining from that? No, that's not fine, Brock. That is not, <laughs> I, I know you're being sarcastic, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, sarcastically it's fine, but really it's not, I mean, you're not gaining anything by doing that. Uh, you're not you're not doing anything that people want to see when you're trying to get a job uh, by doing that. It doesn't look good to do that. I don't know. I don't and know. That's, pi- that's a, and, yeah. and to pile on, like you said, there, there's people got to eat. There's frat houses. There's but in, in, assuming you live in a bigger school or a bigger town, I mean, what's this Uber Eats stuff or um, like the Amazon service? Where oh yeah, I mean, I look at those as okay. So you're getting paid to drive things to places. So pop in like some sort of podcast, pop in an e, um, an audio book, and you can literally get paid to listen to stuff that just gets you better, whether it be mentality-wise or knowledge-wise. I mean, getting paid to learn, I mean, th- there's so many cool jobs out there with technology that I think the argument only shifts more so in our favor that there really aren't any excuses of, I- I'm not going to work while I'm in school. But you know what? I think also for me, I uh, when I was at Penn State, one of the jobs I got um, when I was at main campus, I got a job as a delivery driver because I went up during the summertime. So they needed you know help with the delivery drivers because no one was working. So you know I got a job as a delivery driver, and it was awesome because over time they taught me how to make pizzas. And you know later on, like when I left Penn State um, and went back to you know back home to go to community college, I worked as a pizza chef. 
because of you know what I was doing at Penn State, I now learned a, uh, a skill to do. And now you know my wife and her friends love when I make homemade pizzas because because of a skill I learned at Penn State because I needed some extra side cash. So I mean, if you take a job as to you know maybe it is Uber Eats, you know okay I'm going to go deliver you know food every once in a while. But if you can find a job that might be interesting to you or might you know yeah it's a lot of hard work and yeah you might have to work to get there. It, it's it's so much more valuable because now you know a skill I had ten years ago still pays off now. So you know you never know what you're gonna get by taking a job that you don't know. No, I, I fully agree. And my whole thing is the hidden value in a part time job is when it comes time to get kind of like the full time career type job where you're sitting in the interview and they ask you some sort of question. And if you have built zero experiences then you're gonna have a tough time separating yourself from other people. But it sounds like in your case, during an interview, you could very easily reach back to, well, you know, this one time I worked at a pizza place and then you could answer a question with the experiences that you've made because you just took that random job at a pizza place. So, I mean, you gotta keep that in mind, listeners, especially young listeners, part-time jobs, sure they pay you money-wise, but they also pay you with experiences that you can leverage in the future when you're sitting there for the job interview of a you know a career that is going to pay you that much more and that's what I had you know for when I got my internship with Honeywell is they're like hey tell me about this book business that was the very first question they asked me it had nothing to do with engineering at all it had nothing to do with my grades at all it was hey tell me about this book business cuz i put my little side hustle on there and you know the rest is history i beat out like 15 other people much smarter than i did for the the internship uh, so, I mean, it's all about, did you ever use the pizza job in any of your job interviews? Just well, what's nice about that is you could, I mean, yeah, essentially by explaining like, um, you know, you, you it's a conversation piece, right? right Maybe yep. it doesn't have anything to do with the job, but it's something you can talk about that isn't related to the job or related to, yes, I'm going to come in, I'm going to work hard, you know, I'll be here every day, blah, blah, blah. It's something else you can talk about. It makes you relatable. I mean, it, depending on what kind of job you get. But if you're in an office environment, no one wants to sit next to the guy that only just talks about work all day. You know, <laughs> like no one cares to talk about that guy. <laughs> so, and now, you know, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll pile on. Also, no one cares to sit next to the guy that has no social interactions because he's never actually had to work with people before. So it's just totally awkward. And all he does is talk about work. I mean, that's like the misery of all misery. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, unless you completely love your job, which, you know, uh, I have this theory that, you know, uh, for me at least, and a lot of people that I know, it's, you don't work, you know, you, you have a job because you have to. I mean, you always hear that if you didn't have to have a job, what would you do? No one's going to say, I'm going to go, you know, make Excel sheets for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, you're working because you have to, you have to get income. Now, is it nice to grow up the ladder and, you know, do what you need to do? Yes. And, you know, being successful is very important in life, I feel, because it teaches you a lot and there's a lot to be learned as you're growing. But, you know, you have a job just for the sake of having a job. I mean, so you might as well make your experiences while you're there as good as possible. And being able to relate and talk to people, that's a huge skill to learn while you're young. And it's also something that you want to learn and screw up when you're at the minimum wage job where you're like, yes, okay, that was that was really <laughs> awkward. That was really bad. Um, you don't necessarily get fired, but it's like, Okay, who cares? Worst case, I do get fired for that. Maybe social interaction screw up, but oh well, I'll just go find another minimum wage job. So it's kind of a very good uh, 
testing pad, if you will, of like you said, you just, you got to learn how to interact with people at the end of the day. And I, I don't know if you played sports or not, but for me, that's why I'm a huge believer in sports is there's more to sports than just sports. There's uh, the aspect of, okay, I don't really like this person. We don't really have much in common, but you know what? We got to we gotta work together. We have a, a problem that we need to solve together. So sure, we may not want to hang out on the weekends or heck, even like each other, but deal with it. We got to get something to get done. So did you play sports at all? Yeah. Um, I mean, growing up, I played baseball, uh, baseball and soccer. Um, and then high school came around. I went to a very, uh, what's the word? Let's say political high school, where if you didn't know people, you didn't get on the certain sports teams. So I ended up playing volleyball in high school. Um, I had a lot of friends that played rugby. So I played rugby on the weekends. And when I was at West Virginia, I played uh, rugby for, you know, a few weeks just to get into their parties. So oh. <laughs> See, yeah. I need to get into a party. That's the problem. What's the solution? Play rugby. There we go. You're an engineer. True and true. Always focusing on the solution. But I mean, yeah. do you agree that, you know, there yeah. is a lot oh, of yeah. underlying yeah. aspects with, with sports and just playing all those? Yeah. I mean, I hated a lot of the people I played sports with, but at the same time, <laughs> it, was, it, it, it is what it is. I mean, like I said, it was a political high school. If you weren't friends with certain people, you know, you didn't get in. And uh, so, you know, it's still, but it was still good to know how to play those sports and play them as a team because it was people you could rely on when you needed help right i mean it was people you know you could go to and say you know in a game right in a soccer match right you're going down the pitch or whatever and you need to pass the ball because you're getting you know bombarded by two defenders right it, it's knowing you know you have someone to rely on someone you can go to and things like that I, yeah sports are good yeah i, I would fully fully agree with all of that um okay well let's we'll bring it back uh, great rabbit holes, but yeah. you're at Penn State, and then in your senior year, yeah, if I remember so, right, that's so when, yeah, right so what, pick us so up right, right from there. right before my senior year, um, I got an internship um, for the summer. Uh, it was my junior going into senior year. Um, so this is, I don't know, maybe three and a half years into school at this point, because I had that one semester at, uh, one semester at West Virginia. Uh, which I met my wife, so it wasn't a complete loss to go to West Virginia for a semester. But uh, anyways, uh, I had an internship at uh, – it was it was some consulting firm that was associated with the school. Um, and I they gave me a car, um, and I got to drive around to all the – they're called stockpiles uh, for the – for PennDOT, for Pennsylvania Department of Transportation, where they basically stored um, all the road crews were at and like where the salt piles were and all that stuff for people that live in the north. You know, you always drive down the thing, you'll see the the plows and the, the dump trucks sitting there with big piles of salt. I would go and I'd inspect those. Um, I'd inspect the buildings. I'd inspect for environmental issues, for waste runoff, um, you know, take pictures, do whatever, write reports. So I'd be on the road for three days and I'd be in the office for two. So Monday would be, you know, where am I going? Plan all this stuff out. Make, you know, tell people I'm coming last minute, go Tuesday through Thursday. And then Friday I would, you know, write the reports up and send them out. And my boss was really nice guy. You know, I went on the road with him a lot. Um, he was maybe 45, 50 at the time. And, uh, I, I looked at him and then I would talk to some people who were doing other internships and I talked to them and I, I made, I, I looked at where my career path would be in 10 years. And I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, I just couldn't see myself doing this kind of work. Um, it wasn't fun. It wasn't enjoyable for me. Um, it was, it just seemed boring. And I, 
you know, at that point I was, you know, my junior year, I ran the, uh, well, I assisted in running the, um, uh, the career fair. So, you know, I contacted all these, all these companies, we got them to come in and, you know, we worked to set this whole thing up. So I had contacts outside of just that little internship I had and it, it wasn't for me. I mean, I, I looked, I had a long, hard look at myself and I was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Like you took civil engineering just because you kind of had to, right. And you never made an effort to do something else. So I sat back, I took the sem- rest of the semester off. Um, this was fall semester. So I was maybe a month in and I basically, uh, and that internship even offered to like, let me work part-time, uh, during the semester. Cause they wanted to keep me on. And that was when they called me and told me that I was like, I can't do this. This is, this just isn't going to work for me. So I basically stopped going to class. Um, I was like, this is awful. I don't want to do this. And I was working at the pizza shop. So I started working at the pizza shop full time. Um, and I realized I was like, this is, just, I can't do it. So I started thinking about what I could do. And then I heard about this, uh, program at this community college where you can go, you get your associates and then you can get your bachelor's right after. Um, and I was like, okay, this sounds interesting. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who was in it and, uh, he didn't actually make it through the program, but it seemed interesting. It was, it was about automation. It was about robots. It was about, you know, manufacturing. And he was showing me some of the projects he was working on. And I was like, this is really cool. Like this is, this is actually interesting stuff. Like things are moving, things are doing stuff. You get to play with electricity. Like there's all kinds of stuff you can do. Um, and it wasn't just like a theory based and you know, I was like, okay, this is great. So I told my parents, I'm, I'm, I'm curious here. Was there any sort of what does this job pay? Was that part of your due diligence and thought process or was it just simply, Hey, that sounds really cool. That sounds really cool. There was, I, okay. at that point it wasn't because I was so focused on my happiness in life. Um, and what I wanted to do that would make like how, if I go to work every day for the next, you know, 30 years, am I going to be happy? Uh, or am I going to be bored and not know what I want to do? You know, like always thinking about, okay, well maybe, you know, this next project will be fun or maybe this next project will be fun because civil engineering projects last a long time. Right. I mean, they last six months to a year to five years in some senses. So you're working on the same thing for how long? Right. I mean, that, that to me is not interesting. Um, and And that to me just didn't, uh, I, it was eating inside of me that I had to not do that. Okay. And my kind of thought process here is I get it. I got to go to work and I want to enjoy what I'm doing. But on the flip side, it's like, well, you need to have a job to actually go to work for. And if you get some bogus degree in the, you know, the the philosophy of wood chipping, then I don't know if you're even going to have a place to go to work. (laughs) So I I guess, okay. I'm just glad that that caveat should be made. Yes. (laughs) Now, I'm so was that at all in your thought process? Because I mean, obviously, automation, all that electronics, engineering, technology area, that's all great stuff. I mean, was that? Yeah, I mean, at that point, it was it was it's still engineering. It's manufacturing. They always have to make things right. I mean, we're (laughs) we live in a consumerist society, right? It's everyone is buying stuff, no matter, you know, if it's the simplest of things or it's the, you know, most expensive stuff. But um, I mean, now I, I work, you know, some days I'm dealing with an automotive customer. The next day I'm working with a semiconductor company. And the next day I'm working with someone that makes plates. 
paper plates. So, I mean, it's one of those things. Manufacturing is one of those areas where there's so much that is done in this world that is manufacturing based. And it's a real shame manufacturing isn't bigger in the U.S. because it's so much fun and there's so much that can be in there. And I knew that, you know, in that realm of that track that was offered by that school that I went to, it it was possible going that way, right? Because, you know, manual labor is going away. This was, what, 2007, 2008, I was making this determination. So it was, at at that point, you know, uh, it was right at the precipice of the housing crash. I don't know if it happened yet or not, but you know, civil engineering wasn't taking off and, you know, you could see that there weren't a lot of jobs. So, you know, you had to kind of think long-term, you know, where's this job going to be in 10 years in 20 years, you know, where, what is going to be leading it? If I was really smart, I'd be in software engineering and that would be, you know, fantastic. But, you know, I chose this path instead. So. So moral of the story is that you were thinking, um, you know, maybe you didn't have it written down in a bullet point fashion, but you, the, the idea, the concept of where's the job market? Is there a job market for this? That was part of the decision-making process all the way along uh, yeah, the way. Yeah, it, it had to be. I mean, I, you're right. No I offense, agree. It no has to be, but yeah. when you see, no offense uh, to English I, majors. <laughs> but. Yeah. I, uh, deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Deal with it. If that offends you. Okay. <laughs> But, but I, mean, I, yeah, I, I think you nailed it though. I, I think you're a shining example of, yeah, find something that you think is cool. Find something that you think you would be fascinated by, but combine that, you know, make a nice little sandwich with that of, but there's got to be a job market for it because if there's no job market for it, then yeah, you just ain't going to work at all and you're going to end up loaded down in student loan debt and the ability to repay that debt is not going to be where it needs to be. And now all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you can't put a down payment on a house or I read one article where people are putting off having kids because of, I mean, it screws you up if you don't have the ability to pay for it. So I'm, I, I, you, you, you great example. And, and I um, think you, know, you I, touch on a really good point with the student loan debt. I mean, I, I won't lie. I have a lot of student loan debt because I went to Penn State main campus for a while. Right. But with the when I left, that was one of the big decisions I had to make was, okay, this is how much money I have left in my student loan. How far can I stretch it for my next, you know, cause I still need to get a degree. I knew I needed a degree. Right. And, you know, I didn't have much more money left over from my student loan. So I found something that kind of worked out and, um, you know, now I'm, you know, I'm doing well enough that it's the repayment is fine. Right. I'm paying it off. I'm doing what I need to do. Um, but I'm in a career track because I thought ahead of time saying, okay, is this job going to be worthwhile long-term? Cause I knew I had student loan debt. If you don't, if you get a job where, you know, you're going to make $30,000 at a school and you have $30,000 worth of student loans, I don't know what you're thinking. Cause you still got to live. <laughs> right. Right. And that's why debt in this regard, I don't know. It's, it's really, it, it's, it's not you know, good. There's, it's not good. I mean, Let's be but honest. that's the thing is it's, I would argue that your debt is totally, I mean, it's not debt. I, in your case, I would argue it's an investment because you have invested into skills, you've invested into knowledge that clearly there's a job market that people are willing to pay you for. As you just admitted, yeah, the repayment's like no big deal. I just, I just pay it and you know it'll eventually go away. So in, in your case, I would argue you've made an investment into your education. Other people, sorry, English majors, English majors are pretty much just saddling themselves with debt and it, that's what it is. It's not really an investment 
because I, I I don't know of many. Like I said, maybe you can get a job, but there there's that very fine line between is it just a flat out debt that's dragging you down, or is it an investment that sure it's eating up some cash flow, but because you you know took on that investment and made the investment to make making the payment no problem, then I really don't have any problem with it. I mean, it, it's all got, it's not like an investing into engineering is a depreciating asset. I mean, that's the, between that and, you know, dirt, real estate, those are the two, you know, investments, quote unquote debts. I don't like that word in these situations, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. would you would you agree with that kind of overall thought process? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And I mean, even though my some people may say my time at Penn State was wasted, it still taught me how to think like an engineer. And I think that's the, the biggest thing people kind of say, oh, you're an engineer, you know, what kind of engineering? But in reality, engineering teaches you how to solve a problem, right? So how to, okay, what is the issue and what am I trying to solve for? How do I break it down so that I can solve it? And I use that in everyday life, uh, not only just my engineering job, but you know, <clears throat> in other things I have to do for my engineering work um, that aren't engineering related, I still use that process. And in life, I use that process. Uh, you know, I, I mountain bike. I think we talked about that. I mean, trying to figure out how I can be a better mountain biker, you break down the problems that you have. You figure out how you have to, what you need to do to solve it. And then you can get better at it by knowing what your problems and your weaknesses are, being realistic about it, and then going after that problem and fixing it. I mean, that's that is a skill that I think will carry over with me for life. I mean, it, it's an important skill to have with engineering. I think. And I fully agree. Sure. I mean, really, the way I look at it is, what's kind of your overall momentum? Meaning, I, I in hindsight, why did I even pay to get an engineering degree? I do. I don't do anything with engineering right now. But with that being said, I was, you know, my momentum was always engineering, job market, there's gonna be jobs, you know, there's just, so in the right momentum where you know there's gonna be jobs, like you just said, you're gonna be picking up all sorts of different skills and, you know, the, the probably, I don't know if I'll say the greatest, but top, top three, you're gonna pick up how to think very strategically about, all right, there's a problem here, how are we gonna solve that problem? You know, there's a gap between points A and B. How are we going to close that gap in the most efficient way possible? And, you know, that's what you're learning how to do. And, you know, again, not to crap on some of these other majors, but I'm sorry, but some of these majors that I see out there, <laughs> there's not very much problem solving that's that's occurring. There, sure, it gets you to think. Sure, it gets you to maybe research. And, I'm, you know, those are good skills to have. But again, are people going to be willing to pay you for those skills? They're not. And there's reasons why there's very little job demand and you know wages in certain areas because there's just a lot of people can do those skills. So the better skills you learn, uh, you know, is going to work out. So sure, to the young person listening to this, sure to heck, maybe somebody that's in their 20s or 30s listening to this. I, we're not saying that we were perfect. We're not saying that you know it's got to be flawless. But just make sure your overall momentum you know, is, is going in the right direction. And it, as long as you're focused on something that you think is cool, but there's also a job market for, then yeah, it may not go smoothly, but at least the, the general momentum is headed, you know, in a direction that's going to benefit you long-term. Does that, that make sense that yep. I explained that halfway decent? Yep. No, that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. I mean, you can't, yeah. I'm not okay. even going to repeat it because it worked well. <laughs> okay. Because sometimes in my mind, it's like, yeah, this makes sense. But uh, then, uh, oh, that kind of, uh, you're married. Now, the one thing where us engineers really do get in trouble, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to speak for you, but sometimes my wife doesn't necessarily want 
like a hardcore solution. She just wants to talk and, you know, let me know what's going on. And I just, I go to like, okay, problem is this. Did you, does that get, does your engineering mind, does your engineering kind of skill set sometimes get you in trouble with your wife? It may not be the, the whole, you know, just want to talk thing, but it's the way I break down a problem in a way that's almost like, yeah, you yeah, know, why are you doing very, this? Yeah. Why are you, you're not being sensitive about it? Yeah. But. There you go. Sensitive. Yeah. You're not, I mean, yeah. So I guess that's just, that's a problem of, you know, male versus female. And then you throw in the engineering component and yeah, that, 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 that has some sticky situations every now and then where she just be sensitive, tell me how to do it or just listen to me. And But this is not a relationship podcast. Yeah. I know I'm not qualified. Are you qualified? I am not, no. Okay, no. then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll jump over that rabbit hole. Now, where did... I, I don't know if you mentioned this. What community college did you uh, did you go to? Uh, Lehigh Carbon Community College. It's in uh, Schnecksville, PA. Um, it's north of Allentown, kind of in a rural rural area of uh, the okay. Lehigh Valley. So, and, and I, I uh, ballpark. What was the the? I'm assuming it was cost per semester. What was that cost per semester? Uh, like twelve hundred dollars. Okay, and then twelve thousand. Okay, State. all right. So I, I agree with you. You know what? All my life experiences have put me at where I'm at right now. But can you get behind the math? Can you get behind the um, kind of the general principle that you know what? Starting off at a community college. Oh my god, that is so. That is that is my one regret. Is don't get me wrong. I loved going to Ohio State for four years, but you know how things shaped up. If I play the what if game. If I just would have started at a local community college, oh, I'd, I'd be that much further ahead in life. I mean, would you agree with that, that Clay, math and thought process? I have sleepless nights about this, <laughs> right? So in one hand, I would never have met my wife, but in the other hand, I, I would have, it would have completely shifted what I would have done in life. I mean, it would have changed so much. I mean, it would have been two years at a community college going back and forth versus going to you know, major schools and, you know, being in debt now and all this stuff or being in an investment for long term, right? Um, it, it would have changed things. I, if I could recommend anything to the younger people who are thinking about college, the biggest thing, look at community colleges that credits transfer to the school yes, you yep. want to go. I mean, always look into that. Go to the schools and say, hey, look, I want to go to a community college just to get, you know, Get your English out of the way. Get your, uh, you know, get your basic maths out of the way. Get your, you know, yeah, geography. And all yeah, that. get that stuff out of the way. And then when you go to school, you can really focus on what you want. And that gives you two years to really associate with people and kind of see, you know, where paths are. Like, I, I, I'm going to be honest. It, community college has a stigma that it's for stupid people. Yes, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, and but that's yeah. why I'm so upset. And I, I'm glad we're having this frank discussion because to the younger person. I assure you, the the version of you ten years, twenty years down the road will be like, just embrace the stigma because the stigma is actually I don't know what the word for that is. It like an oxymoron. The stigma of community college being stupid is actually like the total opposite because that's like yeah. the smartest thing you could do. Oh yeah, financially, and you know what? You know what I learned most from going to community college was. Um, so uh, step back just a little bit. The, the, the teachers at community college, a lot of them are either doing it part-time. Uh, there's not many that are doing it full-time or they work in industry and they like to teach. So if you go there with the mindset that 
I'm here to learn. I'm here to really focus and buckle down and do my best and really make something out of this. They'll love you. They will teach you. They will help you out outside of school. They will give you job recommendations. They will do everything you need them to do. Um, I mean, they are fantastic teachers at most community college. I can't speak for all, but anyone that I had and I sat and I put the work in and I did what I needed to do to, to, you know, to really learn the material, they would, they would help and they'd be there for me. And uh, I think that is one of the biggest stigmas is, you know, it's not for stupid people because it's, it's not for lazy people is, is what it should be because you should, you can really get a lot out of a community college. And I mean, I did at least, I, and I put a lot of work in because when I left Penn state, I knew, cause I was getting a lot of flack from friends, from even my parents, um, you know, family members, they're like, what are you doing? You're leaving this great university to go to community college and that stigma stuck. And, you know, I, it was always, I'm here to do something. And that I know, I knew in my heart that it was the right thing to do. Um, but you know, community college isn't for stupid people. It's not for lazy people, if that makes sense. It's there for people who want to really work and do the work. No, that that makes perfect sense. And I'm trying to do. You said Penn State was twelve thousand. Was that per year or per semester? Semester. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, so that's twenty four thousand dollars. Yeah, and then twelve. So total community college was twenty four hundred dollars, right? Two years. Yep. No, so, no, no, no. no. Um, it's forty eight. 12 per, or okay. 1200 per semester. Okay, okay, so 48. So wait, what was total Penn State then? 24 or 48? 24, 24 times three and a half. Okay. So, so okay, that's what I mean. Yeah, so, and I had some scholarships and whatever in there. So, it, you know, when I left, it was like, I think it was like 65. So, but I mean, let, let's, let's, let's rewind the clock and say, you know what, I'm not going to Penn State. I'll transfer in two years later. Mm -hmm. So I mean that saved that saved you how much money? Uh, so Would that have been forty eight thousand if it's twelve per semester? Well, forty four thousand. Okay, that was forty eight. So it's twelve thousand. So twenty four. Twenty four times two is forty eight. Forty eight minus uh, forty eight hundred essentially is you know forty four hundred, forty three hundred. Okay, and you're and you're doing the subtraction based off of what you pay two. for community college, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So forty eight thousand minus forty eight hundred for those for those make, making the decision for those two years. Yep. So forty four thousand so, plus you would be working while you're at community college because you could work more because community college is usually you know it's in a town that you're already working in. So you know you already know the area. You don't even have to go out and get a job because you probably you should have a job in high school. Um, I mean, I had three, so you know <laughs> you better have a job in high school. Um, you know, so you'd be working at the same time. So you know it, it's you'd have more money saved. Not to mention on top of that, I, I, I realize you get to a certain age and you're like, I can't wait to get out of my home, but there is also the possibility of living at home, yep. which means you're saving that much more money and a penny saved is a penny earned. But back to just kind of the whole, like I said, there is the stigma about, oh, that's stupid, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm stupid, maybe I don't understand math, but given the premise of what we just went over, had Brock just been like, you know what? I'm gonna go to community college for those first two years. He would have put himself ahead in life, a penny saved as a penny earned, by $43,000, by $43,200. Let me say that again, by choosing to go the stupid route, he is saving $43,200. So for the young person out there, pull out the calculator. I assure you, if you start crunching numbers, you're gonna see very quickly and remember, we're not even talking about the point that Brock brought up about 
job, I fully agree, leaving at home. I mean, we're not even talking about that. By just simply the making to do that decision, I mean, you're putting yourself ahead in life by $43,200. And then, you know, to get a little geeky here, and this is all theoretical, but you put that $43,000 in, let's say the stock market, which averages, we'll go conservatively, let's just call it 6,000 or 6,000, 6% a year. And you got 40,000 at 6% per year over the next 30, 40 years. Run that calculation. These numbers start to expand very, very bigly. I know that's not a, a word, but all for what? Taking the quote unquote stupid route. So it doesn't sound that stupid when you assign numbers to it, huh, Barack? Not at all. And like I said, it keeps me up at night. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and like I said, I, I, yeah, exactly. I, I've, I may or may not have crunched numbers before that was, you know, what if I just went to two years? of community college first and then went to, to college. But on that note, and you brought it up, I wanna re really reemphasize it. You gotta reverse engineer the process, meaning we'll take Brock's example. Brock knows I wanna go to Penn State. You need to first go to Penn State and say, hey, what community college's credits are gonna transfer flawlessly in here? Ideally, it's a community college that's right around your area. But if it's not, then still, you're gonna be saving enough money, sure you might have to get an apartment or something, but you gotta reverse engineer. Start with where you wanna go and then ask them what's gonna be the easiest transition because the last thing you wanna do is go to a community college and then have your mind set on something and oh no, we don't transfer the credits. Yep. And then all of a sudden you're you're totally, have wasted time and money. So start start where you wanna go. Would you agree with that? I agree uh, 100%. Process? Yep, 100%, so, that's the way to do it. Now, how did, out of curiosity, did the credits transfer pretty well to that community college that you went to? Actually, yeah, uh, they transferred surprisingly well. <laughs> it's because, I mean, you're going from Penn State to a community college, so a lot of them did transfer. Um, so it really wasn't a bad switch. I was working, I was doing maybe, because of the class schedule, it took two years, but I wasn't doing full, uh, I wasn't work. I wasn't going to school. I think I was doing like nine credits a semester, so like three classes a semester because of I, I couldn't take all the classes because they weren't offered each semester, right? They were only offered one semester or the other. So yep. so it allowed me to work more at the same time, so. Nice, and I guess picking back up with your story here, you made the transfer and then that was two years more? Yeah, 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 yeah. So at that time, um, I, was, I went back and then I got a job at a pizza shop so working at a pizza shop and then also, was I working at the grocery store? I don't remember if I was working at the grocery store or not. Um, probably because they love me there. So um, yeah, I was probably working there. Um, I know I had two jobs. I think that was the other job. But anyway, so I was working there and then, you know, things go wrong. And then I end up, my last semester was in the fall and then I had a summer in between. So in between there, I was like, okay, well, I'm about to, you know, get an associate's degree, whatever. Let me, you know, see what I can get. Summer job. So I went to a recruiting agency and, uh, you know, everywhere has these, you know, they're always looking for, you know, part-time help or full-time help. So I looked for a full-time job uh, for the summer and basically I found a job at a, um, they're a contract manufacturer for wiring harnesses, control panels, um, things like that. They do sub-assembly work. Um, for, you know, automation equipment essentially. And, uh, so I got a job there and it was, the first day was terrible. They sat me at a machine and basically all I did was take uh, pneumatic tubing and put a label on it for eight hours. 
So that was their vetting process to see if you would stick around. <laughs> and it was the worst thing I ever did. Um, and I was falling asleep. I was drinking coffee. I'm like, I just can't do this, whatever. And then, you know, and then the day goes on and, you know, the next day I go back to work and I'm like, I can't, you know, whatever. I, I need the job. It was good. It was like $12 an hour, um, you know, whatever. I said, this is fine. I need a job. I was still working, you know, um, at the pizza shop at night. So, you know, I had an extra income in the summer. So I was doing this, whatever, and uh, then I end up going into the the control panel shop, and that was cool because now I was seeing how uh, like control systems were made. So you know you have the PLC. So I'm curious, did they just all of a sudden walk up to you and be like, "All right, Brock, you're you're good. You don't have to keep on doing this. You you passed. Maybe they didn't say you passed the test, but I mean, did they eventually? just kind of randomly say, all right, you got a new job? Well, no, no, no. It was, that was basically what they did to the, the, like, if you go there the first day, that's what they'll do. Because one of their biggest things, like pneumatic tubing does run into these control panels a lot. So there's a lot of this tubing that has to be made and you have to label both ends of it. And it's not, I wouldn't say it's an automated process, but you basically stick a tube into a machine and it labels it for you. So it's a labeler essentially, but they do that to all the, to the first you know, your first day there. So I watched it happen to other people after me too. So it wasn't like they were just, you know, let's just see what this guy can do. It was, this is just what you do and we'll see what happens. And if you stick it out the first day, then, you know, maybe you'll stick around for longer. So, uh, okay. So it's literally like a one day test. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. So, okay. And of course going in, you don't necessarily know about that, but what (laughs) I find interesting, what I find interesting about this, and I don't know if you listen to Paul's um, discussion, but you're, you're basically, doing exactly what he did, what he recommends to, to younger people, really to anybody is find a job in the general sphere of, of what you're gonna be doing. Yes. Even if you know, you're doing like janitorial work, who cares? You're still in a manufacturing plant, for example. Yes. And it, if you're worth or, worth or hoot, you'll start to advance up. And then when it comes kind of to circle back to our whole interview process thing, Talk about some great experience, some great answers that you're now going to be able to give a potential employer because you've gotten yourself not necessarily skills that translate perfectly, but at least you're in that sphere of whatever job uh, you know market you're kind of pursuing. So, I mean, it sounds like we have yet another underlying data point of somebody that did exactly that. And it, based on you agreeing, it sounds like that was a very wise decision on your part to seek out those sorts of jobs. Oh yeah. So, I mean, that, that played in hugely with, uh, how things moved forward. So from there, um, I I ended up, you know, in the control panel shop. So I was building these control panels and it was the work I put in there that eventually, I mean, this was, this ended up being my first engineering job. And I started out as a temp worker working on the floor, putting labels on tubes to right. being an engineer for that company. So, um, I mean, after I graduated with my bachelor's, that's, you know, they offered me the job cause they wanted to keep me. So it was the work I put in to get all the way up to where I was. Um, so yeah, I mean that, yeah, always get a job. I mean, if you're almost going to graduate, whatever you can do, if you can get part-time work doing something in the industry you're going to be in, it leads to connections that you'll have for life. So um, because they see the hard work, right? I mean, they'll, they'll see how hard you'll work. And I mean, that's another thing. If you don't work hard while you're there, it's not going to go anywhere, right? So you have an opportunity, take it. Uh, I, I think that's something that people need to know is, you know, it may not be the opportunity you want, but it's an opportunity. And if you don't take advantage of an opportunity, y- you missed out. And missing out is sometimes 
worse than failing, I think. I mean, I don't know. Right. And and I, w- I would add sometimes, you know, people's the expression, I have no idea where I got or I have no idea how I got here. And, you know, got here is, is they're saying that in like a good way, like, wow, how did I even get here? I'll tell you how you got there. You actually did something. And like you said, you took an opportunity. And when you take an opportunity, maybe it's not the one you necessarily want, but it's amazing how, now of course, like you said, the ca- the caveat here is you gotta work hard, okay? You gotta show up, you gotta do your work, keep your mouth shut, listen. So those are the caveats. But if you do that, it's amazing how opportunities that you take spin off into other opportunities and then a window opens over there and then a door opens over there. And before you know it, you're thinking, how did I even get here? This is this is pretty amazing. But oh, yeah. I 100% agree. Take opportunities. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for me, I mean, that I love that job. I think it was really cool because I, I just thought it was interesting, like just wiring up these control panels. It was almost, I hate to say it, and a lot of my friends who are, I wouldn't say artists, but in the liberal arts programs and have liberal arts Deal jobs. With it. Yeah. They they won't they don't <laughs> believe that there's art in engineering. Yeah. And I fully disagree. I think there is art in engineering all the time. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen those uh those things. My like, question is what isn't art? Yeah. Well, I mean true. can I not go outside, throw together a pile of sticks and then start to interpret <laughs> the pile of sticks? Very true. I could be ignorant, but to me that would be my is what isn't art? I mean what we're doing right now is art. Hmm? Well I mean we're just it's an expression of of art, so I don't know. Now, great, what have we done, Brock? We've offended the business degree community, the English major community, and now the art community hates our hates the podcast. So, look, if the world was run by engineers, it'd be a much better place. It would <laughs> it'd be I mean, a much logical place. Yeah, it would. Things would operate so smoothly, but oh man, we are so isolating. That's okay. That's uh, all right. So. This is, okay. I don't even know. Anyways, oh, yeah, you oh, know, no, no, you, you took the job. opportunity. Yeah. So I'm working and, yeah, this job. Working that job. And, uh, you know, every day, you know, I come in, you know, do my job, do what I need to do. I would try to learn as much as I could. I mean, because I thought, you know, it was interesting to learn this stuff. It was fun. I was playing with power tools. I was wiring stuff. I was doing testing. I learned from the QC guys. It was a lot of, you know, going and talking to people and really understanding what they did. And, hey, can I try that? Can I get a shot of doing that? And, yeah, they'd say, no, you're not ready. But, you know, you kind of figure out, okay, so what are they doing? And you start emulating what they're doing. So you watch people above you who are working and this is, you know, this is a blue collar work. It's, you know, manual labor all day long. Um, you know, but I got to that summer, I got to learn how to, how to run, uh, an end mill. I got to run, learn how to run a lathe. Um, I got to learn how to do powder coating. I got to learn how to, uh, run QC tests. I got to learn how to, um, quality control for listeners. Yeah, sorry, quality control. Um, you know, it, power up tests, things like this. I mean, I got to learn all kinds of stuff during that summer to the point where they knew I was going back to school and that I would have to quit the job. But they said, "Well, can you schedule your your work? Uh, or can you schedule your classes around work?" And because it was a community college, it was last semester community college. All the classes were in the afternoon. So I said, "Look, I can do. You know, uh, I think it was like seven twenty to noon. I was like, I can do." you know, half a day if you want. Like, and they're like, yeah, that's great. Come in. So they allowed me to come in and just work part time there. And then I'd go to school and then at night I'd go back to the pizza shop. So it was, it, it gave me the opportunity to stay there. And then when I graduated, um, they moved me up and they, uh, you know, then I became an engineer for them. Um, after my bachelor's was done. So, um, because the bachelor's was through the, it wasn't through the community college, it was through Temple University, but Temple University kind of had a, it was like a branch at the community college. 
So it was a Temple degree taught by Temple teachers that would come up and teach them, uh, teach the classes or whatever, and then go back down to Philly um, because I'm about you know an hour, hour and a half away. So it allowed me to work there while I did my bachelor's. So it and once I got my bachelor's, then they brought me on as an engineer. So it was because you know I put the effort in and I worked hard and I learned as much as I could while I was doing this job that you know they're like, hey come on in. So uh, it was really cool because I got to see so many different aspects. I got to go, you know, on the road and kind of see where this stuff was being installed. Um, I got to, I I mean, the skills I learned there were, I still use today. I mean, um, knowing how a control panel is wired, built and put together, knowing how, uh, you know, the fans would go in for a certain reason, or you'd have an air conditioning in for a certain reason. Um, you know, cause I would see all, cause it was a contract manufacturer. So it wasn't any of our products, you know, we sold basically labor to put these things together. So I would see, uh, other engineers from other companies. I'd see how they put, con- uh, you know, schematics together. I'd see how they did wiring schematics, how they did mechanical schematics. So I would see so many different people's work, so many different engineers work that I'd be able to go in and, you know, uh, make recommendations, make changes to the prints and talk to these engineers while I was still getting my degree. So the job allowed me to kind of see so many different aspects of manufacturing at that point and how, you know, these control panels, I mean, it's one piece of equipment, it's a control panel, but it's like the brain of the automation equipment. So it was super, it was super cool to kind of see all this stuff and kind of, you know, interact with all these people. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, it was, a, it's a great experience. I, I'll always remember that job. I, stayed there for a very long time actually so um what what i not not to cut you off but what i find interesting and inspiring and uh, motivational and you know maybe you know you listeners but it was super cool and the cool thing here is that you're getting paid for all this super cool stuff right you're yeah. getting paid oh, yeah. to learn all these skills i mean how great is that before i forget though uh, this you know when they hired you on as an engineer was, was that two-year degree? Was that no, good enough? For, no, no, for- no. It wasn't until I got my bachelor's. So I did oh, two okay. more years, right, and working part-time at this place. So in the summers, I'd work full-time. And during while I did my bachelor's, I'd work part-time. So I'd work in the mornings and you- there and then go to school at night. So And you got your bachelor's from? Temple. Okay, you, you did say that, Temple. Yeah. And um, Temple, was that... Um, I mean, obviously, they're 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 more costly than um, a, a community college. Yes, but not much because it was essentially a branch campus. Ah, okay. So it wasn't, but they never really advertised it as a branch campus. So it's not like my degree says Temple University, you know, uh, Lehigh Valley. It says Temple University. Whereas if you got went to Penn State, like. Berks or Erie or Harrisburg or whatever else it would say Penn State Harrisburg. Okay. So I I mean it was I mean it was one of the considerations when I went to the school it was you know what does the degree say because it, as much as you don't uh, want to think that the degree matters that piece of paper does actually say something. So I don't have to put that I went to a branch campus on and now I guess I'm spilling the beans for everyone to hear but <laughs> um I don't have to, I don't have to put, you know, I went to a branch campus at Temple University. I went to Temple University. That's what my degree says. So that piece of paper says that I went to Temple. So, you know, whether that's good or bad or whether it's, you know, it is what it is. It it says what it says. So now how much cheaper was it go? How much cheaper was it to go to 
um, the branch campus that as opposed was, to the main campus. I don't know part. what the main campus was, to be honest with you, but that was around 3500 to four grandish, I think, a semester. So that was a little bit more price. That was about double the price. Okay. Oh. So still, though, 4000 per semester, you said? Yeah, I'd say about that. So 16000 I guess, for two years. And then you had, what, 4800 at your community college? Yeah. So ballpark 2800 yeah. 20, yeah. and you don't have to answer this but um what that that engineering job what did you make like I said I don't need it but are, if you're willing to answer I'm trying to you know assign some numbers here what, oh, what did yeah. they what did you make um, out of the gates I think it was 40 I want to say okay. 40 it was hourly though um so it was like 20 20 an hour I was making 18 an hour maybe maybe less Somewhere between eighteen and twenty, I would say it was around forty thousand a year. So if it was eighteen, that would make sense because there's two hundred, two thousand hours in a work year plus vacation time, but you get paid for vacation time. So I think it's like eighteen. It was like it came out to about forty the first year. Okay, cool. And then I would also follow that up with, I'm assuming you were, were there growth prospects that you noticed? I mean, in yeah. the sense of, so, okay, so it's that's not like great. I'm going to sit yeah. here and make $18, $18 an hour for the next five no, years. No, no, I mean, no, did you not. recognize that? Because the point here for listeners is, and more so younger, is you you can't look like, that's all I'm going to make? Well, listen, dude, you're just starting out. Ask yourself, is there growth possibilities? And if you're answering that question, no, you're pretty much going to be stuck there for a long time. Then yeah, maybe look somewhere else. But I would assume that, you know, sure you start off at 18 an hour, not that that's bad or anything, but there was plenty of growth opportunity. So I, yeah, I, I busted my butt and in five months I got a promotion to project engineer, um, which bumped me up to 50 K. <laughs> so, and okay. So just like that, you went from 40 to 50, um, in five in months, five yeah. months. There, yeah. you go. So there you go. So it was, keep in mind the, the investment here was 20,800. Yeah. So right now I'm, you know, that's, that's uh, no red flags as far as you know the number crunching. I can see other than the minor annoyance of okay, that's on my cash flow going to you know uh, you know the, the school payment. But so far, so good. Keep on going. So kept going. You know, uh, you know, working again, seeing more things. Now that I was an engineer, I was working with un- other engineers. I was creating documents. We were implementing new machinery, things like that. Um, and then I started coming up with ideas to improve the processes. But I was able to do that because I worked on the floor and I saw a lot of these problems and I was friends with guys on the floor to the point where they're like, hey, you can make this process better if you just did this, this, and this. So I would talk to them and I'd work with them and I would go back to, you know, it was a small company. Um, They would always stay under the 50 people, $10 million, uh, you know, a year uh, business model. Right, revenue. Yeah, yep. so that they could, you know, it's a tax thing. They hired a lot of contract workers. You know, there was really only like 10 full-time employees that actually worked for them, um, which is, I mean, it's fine. It, it worked well for them. And it was one of the reasons I left, but it, cause there was a, there was a point where I couldn't do anymore. But at the same time, anytime you could save them money, it, they jumped at the opportunity. I'm like, well, look, here's a process that we can prove, um, by doing this, this, and this. And it was, you know, breaking down the problem, figuring out what it was and going through and, you know, solving it. So by that point in seven months after, you know, I got promoted, I then got promoted to project engineer and quality control manager. So I was, God, when was this? So this was 2012. Um, So I was 
26 at the time. So now I'm managing three people at 26. I'm also having my project engineering job. So I'm doing both jobs now. And, um, it, you know, because I knew, because I started from, you know, the floor and worked with these guys, I was able to improve processes and grow my, grow my brand as an employee by now having this underneath my belt, which let me, would let me actually ask you this. prove useful later in life. Do you attribute all this growth because you're just super good at your job in terms of like you're just a, a very, very intelligent guy? No. Or do you attribute <laughs> it to the fact that you keep your mouth shut, you listen, you work hard. I mean, which yeah, one, where do you it, think? It has to be, it has to be the second one. I mean, yeah, you can be super smart, but no one wants to, no one wants to work, want to work with that guy. No one wants to promote that guy who just acts like they're better than anyone else. Right. Um, I mean, I, I'll be honest, Clay, like I'm not trying to sound, you know, like a douche or anything, but I, I know how, how good I am as an employee, but that means nothing if I didn't have hard work. I mean, this job that at this company, but you mean people, you know how good you are in them. You know how you mean you know how good you are as an employee because you know you're gonna show up. You know you're gonna work hard. Yeah, you know you're gonna listen. I mean, this, that, this place. You're not saying that in a sense of listen. I'm so smart. That's and that's how I'm a good employee. You're attributing. Yeah, it's irrelevant. Good yeah, that that okay. how smart you are is mostly irrelevant but you know this place started you know 7 20 until like 4 30 every day that was the hours no one worked more than that or less than that i would get in early i would stay late you know people would say hey what are you doing here still you know it would always be that and the owners saw that they saw that i was there working till five six o'clock at night when no one was there when you know there was only one other two other people there you know, I made sure if my boss was there, I was most likely there, right? I was working until he worked. Um, you know, I'd try to leave with him to kind of, you know, not to, I wouldn't bother him, but if I saw him leaving, it was kind of time to go at that point. But, you know, I would work as late as I needed to. And, you know, I'd work on extra things. I'd always take extra projects, right? I'd always take on as much as I could. Um, and yeah, you're a salary employee. And I think this is, this gets lost a lot on people. You're a salary employee. So you're expected to work 40 hours. Well, eh, yeah, sure. But at the same time, if you want to, I mean, this is completely, I, I think this is a little bit different than entrepreneurship, um, in the sense that you're working for a corporation. I think, who was it? Paul mentioned that, that, um, that those four squares, uh, I forget what the book is, but you know, you're trying to go from. Yep, working yep. really well for someone to working really well for yourself. That's fine. But if you want to be really good in the corporate world, the way to get there is to bust your ass, do what you need to do and make your bosses look good. Um, and in my, in that sense, in the example I mentioned, it was being able to save them money and yeah, it, it wasn't fun to, to work really hard to do these things. But at the same time, I learned a lot from those experiences that I apply later in life to things that I'm doing now to try and, you know, do other things for myself. So that's good stuff. And I fully agree. Maybe as later, geez, that kind of seems hard. Well, you know what? If you want to get ahead in life, if you want to build something for yourself, that's why it's hard. If it was easy, then everybody would have, you know, that sort of success. And that's just, you know, that's just the way it goes. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, motivational stuff. Okay, now where does this master's degree start to, um, where does this, you know, fit into the process So here? immediately after graduating from Temple, 
um, this company offered to, I wanted to get my master's. Um, and Lehigh University, it's in Bethlehem. It's, you know, near where I'm at. And uh, I was at that company long enough because I had worked there part time and whatnot where I, um, I was qualified for their uh, student, not student loan payment, but their, their education program. So they paid for two classes a year. So my master's took a while to do, but I was able to do it. It was 10 classes essentially. Um, so it took me about three and a half years because I ended up paying for a couple classes myself throughout the time, but I wasn't at this job that long, but they paid for my schooling. So they paid for me to go to school to get my master's at night. So not only working all day, then I'd go and then do my classes at night for my master's degree. Interesting. I've, I've heard of companies that will pay for it all and then, but usually that comes with a stipulation of, but you're working here for the next, you know, X amount of years, usually like two years or something like that. It's like, it, sounds, it was one year at that point. Okay, so you did have that stipulation yeah. then that you had to work there. Yep. Ballpark, if you remember, how much did you actually pay for that master's? Uh, the whole program was 30K. I know that. Um, I paid, I think, around 10 total because okay. I left the job. Um, and then I paid for two classes uh, two years in a row. So I, it was on a per class basis. So whatever that math works out to. So 10 grand divided by four. So 2,500 per class. So okay, it was so a little bit paid, more expensive, but yeah, I paid so for that. So you paid right around ten thousand. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. We'll we'll keep that number on the on the back burner for now. You get that mass. We're at how much we're at were 30, you? at this point. So for people, okay. from Correct. community college to now for the master's degree. But little spoiler. Now I'm I'm gonna we're gonna try to see if paying that extra ten grand justified what I would assume would be an increase in pay later on down the road. But we'll we'll, we'll see. But that's kind of where I'm gonna carry this ten thousand number. Now you get the masters, and well, like you said, you had already. I wasn't. Stopped. I was still doing my masters. Um, I had, I had a year into my masters, um, and then I gave it another, you know, a little bit, and then I left to go to this other job because talking to the owners, there really wasn't much growth for me there. And I wanted to do more complicated stuff. So I ended up going to um, a company that my, that company I was working for did business with. So we would basically build their control panels. So a recruiter came, you know, and this is something, you know, something interesting to touch base on is when you have a job, it's always good to talk to recruiters. Even if you don't, take the job they offer um, just to kind of see where you're at price wise, you know, in the market, um, especially in engineering. I mean, it, the, the, the salaries are always changing. Uh, once a year, I always like to go on an interview, even if I don't want the job, just to kind of see if my skill set's still there and see what they're offering. Um, so I took this one and uh, it was for, it was electrical engineering position. So maybe, you know, I was an electrical engineer for a little bit. Um, it was six months as a contractor and then six months, uh, you know, I was working there full time, but they didn't pay for my school. So that was part of the years that I was paying for school myself. Um, so I'm working. Did that, give, did, did that give you a pay increase from your previous yes. job? So I went from 55 okay. to uh, 65. Okay. All so right. this is, you know, year three. Let me ask this. Did, did they know that you were working? On, I'm assuming they knew you were working on your master's? Yes. Yes, they knew. They knew. So okay. they were okay with it. 
Um, were they baking that master's degree into their offer? They were, or was yeah. it a, Okay, so I would argue that you increased your pay by 10,000 per year minimum for just paying $10,000. So it sounds like that's a pretty good rate of return. Yep. Spend 10,000 to then make $10,000 more uh, in pretty much perpetuity. I mean, for the remainder of your career, unless all of a sudden a job market tanks or something like that. But assuming things stay relatively strong and assuming you have a work ethic like you clearly do, that I would say spending that $10,000 on the on the master's program was uh, was money well spent. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, Sorry to cut you no, off, no, I'm no, just trying no, to- No, 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 it's okay, no, no, it's, it's a I, good point. Well, it's a good point to make. I mean, it, you have to understand what your investment is to what you're actually gonna be making, so. Exactly, and that's kind of the underlying theme here that hopefully Brock and I are, are, are doing a good job of walking through the thought process that needs to go into your education, that needs to go into making sure that you don't sink yourself in, in personal debt for the remainder of your life or for a significant part because you're not thinking through things the way uh, you know, numbers matter and the numbers aren't bad, but they do matter. So anyways, pick it up. So you're, you're getting your degree. You've got $10,000 more. Yes. Yeah, so uh, working as electrical engineer, um, this, this is actually an interesting one. I did, this was, this was a really good job. Um, I actually got to, uh, revamp, uh, the control system on a mail processing equipment. Now, you know, stupid me, you know, I should have realized, you know, the mail industry in 2013 wasn't really going to go anywhere, but hey, it was a really cool job. It was high speed stuff. So you're talking, you know, it would be able to uh, take a roll of paper, right? Like we're talking, this is a four foot diameter roll of paper. So you can, you know, paper is very thin <laughs> um, yep. and it would spit out the roll, cut the paper, fold it, put it into an envelope. Uh, mark the envelope, read the envelope, and then sort it out based on what it said um, at fifty thousand to you know twenty to fifty thousand sheets an hour, depending on the product line. So it was quick, right? It was fast moving, that's high speed automation, and that's why I took the job. Um, it, it was it, it really gave me a really good focus into automation and really what it took to do something in high speed. Um, and knowing the control side of things from my work with Brytech, going in and doing drawings and doing all this stuff, I already knew their standards because I've been working with their standards for so long at that other job for three years at the other job. So, you know, I knew everything did. I just had to come in and do the work. So there wasn't even a train up period. It was, here's our processes. Here's what we do. You know, you know how to do the drawings, get at it. So, you know, right away I, I was making an impact. And what I always find interesting, this is kind of off topic, but this is why I, I really, really respect, um, and I'm a, I was technically a process engineer as, as my job, uh, but, you know, and I don't have anything against design engineers. I don't have anything against people that, uh, you know, design stuff, the think tanks, no problem at all. We need thinkers like that. But to me, it always boils down to manufacturing because you could have the coolest product. You could have, it could just be oh, so awesome. And I think I talked about this on, on, on Paul's podcast, but, from a business perspective, if you can't mass produce whatever the item is, if you can't manufacture it, like what Brock's doing in time efficient, cost efficient manners, then who cares what you've designed? Because from a business perspective, you're not gonna be able to do anything with it. I mean, unless you're happy, you know, chipping away and making, you know, what, some small amount per year, but that's why manufacturing. No one's going to buy always, a $10 bottle of water. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? There you go. Perfectly put. <laughs> exactly. And the only reason why that bottle of water is 
whatever it is, is because it can be mass produced in cost and time efficient ways, which is circling back to where manufacturing, engineering, it's really, it's a fascinating thing. So I, I get it, the way you describe that, what'd you say, 20,000 to 50,000 per hour? Yeah. Sheets of paper per hour and envelopes out the door. So there's a lot of post office stuff and uh, banks and things like that. Yeah, that, that's that, that, that that's crazy. And to think that uh, trying to do that the old fashioned way, yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> have fun with that. Yep. Uh, but but uh, okay, so you're 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 in this mail job, so, and you know yeah. So where one of things the things uh, actually I did at my last job was I helped them implement uh, ISO standards into into their system because a lot of the companies that they worked that they worked with required it. So because I worked on that team, I was able to jump right in and join the ISO uh, team and uh, for this new job um, for this automation company. And this was really good because it gave me, you know, I got to work with more different people. So I got to work with different aspects of the company now and learn different parts of the company. Um, and I think a lot of that is missed in working for big companies. When you get a job, you kind of, and no offense to Honeywell, but that's kind of a big company where I don't know if you had the same experience, but you go there and all you do is your job. You don't touch anything else. At my last job, I worked in purchasing. I worked, uh, you know, I had to deal with purchasing. I had to work in, um, you know, shipping, receiving, warehousing, you know, the production. I did the engineering work, um, you know, even some financial stuff, the sales side. I was involved in all of it, you know, so I got to see so much different things. So I was able to take those experiences to this next place and it kind of halted a little bit because it was a big company. So, you know, I was just doing electrical work. I was just doing, you know, stuff like that. So I joined other teams. So I joined like the verification, like the process doc team, you know, um, and I joined like the ISO team to do, you know, uh, inspect their processes to make sure that they're up to standards and stuff like that. And they're following what their process docs say. So were you for, were you forced to join those teams? No, no, of course not. <laughs> I did them because so you, good. you voluntarily joined those teams. Yes. Yeah. I did the extra work because you know there you go so I, i'm noticing a theme here some may call it a little bit ambition i that's that's you can't gloss over stuff like that while i joined you have to <laughs> specify that i was not forced to join these teams that was a personal decision yeah I, that's good stuff so sorry to cut no, you off no, no, it, i thought right. i i thought i recognized kind of a little gold nugget there and that was definitely a, a gold nugget and you know indeed. for me ambition it's one of those things where i just do you know I, it's just something i'm used to doing is always picking up the extra stuff to do it um you know and i don't realize that i'm doing it and i probably should because you know it is kind of where i got how I got to where I am. But at the same time, it's, uh, you know, it is what it is, but yeah, you're right. It's, it, yes, it is ambition. I guess you could call it. So, um, so anyways, I'm at this job. It's, you know, eight months in nine months in, um, and I'm on, I'm on the road. I was going to do an installation to kind of see how one of these things we're trying to fix a machine, whatever. And, uh, I get a call from my boss. He goes, so they're shutting down the plant here and they're moving everything to North Carolina. So <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. He's like, well, don't tell anyone. It's not official yet, but I just wanted you to know right away. So I'm in Cleveland, Ohio of all places. I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't like Cleveland, Ohio very much. No offense to, you know, I don't know if you're from Ohio, but. Uh, I am from Ohio. Sorry. <laughs> um, no offense, but. I'm offended right now. I, we may, you know, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, it was cool. I got to stay at the, uh, I think it was, a, it was a Holiday Inn right across the street from the stadium, from the Brown Stadium uh, downtown. So that was cool. I thought that was interesting. There was a really good, uh, 
There's a really good burger place right around there. I don't know. But if you're ever there, go to that burger place. If it's still there, it's really good. I'll definitely hit it up. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So so I get back and you know the rumor mill is starting, right? And these are people that have been working here for like 25 years. And one of the reasons I took this job was because their headquarters was in North Carolina. Um, and at the time, I was engaged. We weren't married. So we were engaged, but my wife was working before while we were still dating a little bit, like after our West Virginia years, whatever. Um, she was working at in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, she's a nurse, so she's at Duke University Hospital. So I was like, this is a great job. Maybe I can get transferred down to North Carolina. We can both move back. We'll be happy down there, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, so they go- So your wife is a nurse? Yes. She chose wisely with that. Again, hey, the younger <laughs> listener is nursing. Yeah. Uh, that's a great, uh, especially if you're a male, oh if you want to make this, all, the system of systems work for you, become a male nurse. It, that is the epitome of making the system work for you. Man, you know what? At this point, my wife was making more money than me. My wife made more money than me every year with overtime up until about two, three years ago. So, I mean, if you want nursing is no joke. If you want to yeah. make money, go into nursing. If you can stand blood and you can stand all the other yeah. bowel movements and things that go with that, you know, that's that's a hell of a job to have. Not to mention there's always going to be job demand because people are always going to be having bowel movements and blood and stuff like that. So, you want job demand, you want good paying job growth? Oh yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. There you You'll go. You'll never be out of a job, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, so I get back and, you know, they, they go around, they only, this was like, uh, there was like maybe 50 people in this plant. So they asked 10 people to go down all but one. And one of them was a person on the floor who just kind of built control panels, essentially what I did at my last job. They always all but, uh, all but, sorry, all but one declined the offer to go down. Um, and they didn't ask me right away, so I was kind of hurt. So I was like, well, this is ridiculous. What am I sticking around for? I went out and found another job. I got two job offers. Um, and this was a real decision point in my life, I think, because you know, I talked to my wife at that point, um, and I said, you know, I have this one job. It offers a pension. It's a, it was a quality it – was, it was an interesting job. It was a, it was a role they kind of built for me because they knew what my past was. Um, it was a intermediary role. It was it wasn't quality engineering or quality control, but it was kind of labeled as a quality specialist kind of thing, where I would work uh, and develop their drawings from and be an intermediary between the people on the floor and engineering and kind of work with the product managers to kind of develop better products and processes based on the products that they had, which was cool. I thought it was an interesting job. Um, but then I also found this other job. It was, it was an application engineer. So essentially you quote systems. Uh, you, you're basically the, you're an engineer between sales and production. So sales comes out, they say, Hey, I need this thing. How do I make it work? And, uh, but there was a lot of travel. And at that point in my life, I was like, well, I want to travel. I, I, I really want to travel, but I didn't think I was a salesperson or I could be a salesperson. Um, and I didn't know if I could do it. And I don't know if you, if you, you're a sports guy. So I don't know if you ever listened to Colin Cowherd on. I do. Okay. Yep. So you remember when he went from ESPN to Fox to Fox? Yeah. Yep. So he had a really good nugget and it's always stuck with me at that point. It was, uh, you, you should never, fully know the job you're going into 
or or something like that. You should be 70% ready for the job you're going to take because if not, you're not pushing yourself. And at that point, that's kind of where the decision I took where I was like, I want this sales job because I don't know how to do sales, but I can learn it. Um, and at that point, I figured out I could kind of learn to do a lot of different things, especially learning at this, you know, electrical this automation company. Uh, I learned to do a lot that I didn't know how to do while I was there. And I didn't really realize that that's what I was doing. But being unprepared and going into things um, isn't the best way of going about it. But knowing what you don't know uh, or trying to understand what you don't know before going into it and kind of understanding, you know, most of it before getting into it um, – it, it was really good for me. I, I don't know if that made sense. Uh, that just felt it like does. Was rambling, I, I would but. just add, no, I would just add to it that not only what you said, but also knowing that in your heart of hearts, you have a good work ethic, which we've been talking about, then yeah, I mean, go for it. So as long as you know what you don't know, and then also know that you've always worked hard, you're going to work hard, you're going to do what needs to be done to get whatever needs to be done, done, then yeah, hop in with both feet. Yeah. So, so I took that job. Um, I only gave them a week's notice to <laughs> the automation company. Cause I was like, well, you know, screw you. I, I offered, I was like, look, I will go down. You don't even have to pay for my relocation. Like just send me down. Like I want to go down there. They're like, no, you know, we got to wait. So on my last day, my, my boss's boss says, Oh, it's a shame you're leaving. You know, we would have, uh, we would have loved to have you down in North Carolina if you still want to come down. <laughs> and I looked at him. I'm like, it was noon at that point. I'm like, I'm going home. I'm done. See you guys later. So I just walked out. They still paid me for the full day. So that was nice. But, um, well, I don't know what, what's up. That makes no sense right? from, from their perspective. Right. Why did they <laughs> on my last day? <laughs> yeah, that's. That's goofy. That's real goofy. Yeah, but it, they're terrible now. They're now a software company and they're not doing well. Um, I'm actually, I sell to their competitor now. So, <laughs> or my company sells to their competitor and I do everything I can to help them out in a way. So, <laughs> um, uh, it, it, it is what it yeah, is. Yeah. So, you know, it, maybe it's a little bit of a grudge, but it's also, you know, it is what it is. But, anyways, so I get this job um, and it was, so they, um, they made conveyors, right? Uh, but they did a lot in the automation realm. So they were in manufacturing. They were developing the automation equipment for these guys. Um, so again, my job was to kind of sales would have a you know an idea of what they wanted to sell, um, and then I would kind of make it work. So this was the I think this was one of the coolest jobs I've ever had because it, I could go through so much of what I did, but. I got to work with some of the largest companies uh, that your other business trades on a daily basis. Um, and I got to see the inner workings of these companies. I got to see the manufacturing processes of these companies. Are you allowed to say what companies they are? Um, no. <laughs> just because okay, of that's NDAs. Fine. Let's, yeah. let's err on the side of yeah, caution. Just let's err on the side of caution. Um, but this was a big jump. So this, I went to 75. So I went from 65 to 75. So it was another jump. Um, and do you think your masters played into that? Yes, because I was actually finishing it at the time. So they okay, finished okay. they finished paying for it actually because it was so many because it was only a year at my last job. So they finished paying for it, and my master's program, my master's uh, senior project, whatever they call it, my master, what are they? I don't know what they call it. Um, my final project to get my master's was based on that company. I developed a like your thesis, my or thesis. Whatever? Yeah, sorry, my thesis project. Okay, I developed a uh, reconfigurable manufacturing line. 
that they then used uh, later on in the processes to kind of develop new systems. So um, the job essentially was I developed manufacturing lines for these companies. So like think of, um, so biggest thing I was involved in was the electronics industry. Um, I have developed manufacturing lines for companies that send rocket ships into space. Um, I have developed manufacturing lines for uh, companies that build satellite components uh, for space. I've developed uh, things that are in your pockets and, you know, computers and TVs. I've done all of those manufacturing lines. And I've, you know, I have signed off drawing from a well-known, what is the word, solar slash car slash person uh, on one of my drawings. He signed off on one of them. He told me it was terrible. Slash, yeah. Slash driller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bore, yeah. bore. I should say. So in three years, I'm. Wait, wait. The, the, this person told you that your drawing was terrible. Yes. <laughs> so I had to. Did you talk to this person I, on the phone? I did not get to talk to them. It was, it was, it went to them, and then they signed off, and it came back and said, "No, you have to redesign it." So basically, he said, "No, it's not going to work." So, but still. He looked at it, he evaluated it, and he wanted something different. Told me, you know, told them what they wanted, and I redeveloped it. And now my my manufacturing system is building components for that for these companies. So uh, very cool, very cool stuff, you know. Um, and I got to go into you know the special places um, for you know search engines that you know you that also do other things. You know, I got to, I got to see the inner workings of so many different companies um, that it was just really awesome. And I, you know, my work ethic kind of pushed over into this one because I worked, the guy I worked directly with the sales guy with, he was an old school guy. Um, He was like 65, but he had the energy of like a 20 year old. I mean, he would go, go, go. And with that, we also had, um, so after I made my, you know, quotations and, you know, developed these systems, they would be built in Malaysia and then come here. So I would also, you know, he would always talk to these people in Malaysia at night. So it was eight o'clock at night, uh, PM Eastern time for their 8 AM in Malaysia. So I would be gotcha. working at 8 PM to kind of talk to them to say, Hey, this is what I'm developing. This is what I'm working on. But then I'd also have to work on the West Coast. So 8 to 5 turned in 8 to 8 p.m. to deal with people on the West Coast. That's turned into 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. to work. So at this point, I'm working 14-hour days, you know, because I get in 7, 7.30 to kind of keep up for the day. And I'm working until 10 o'clock at night because of all this stuff I'm doing because, you know, it was a small group that I was in um, that I had to. Right. It, it was just so that you can get the work done and that you can do, you know, good stuff and cool things because, you know, you're so engulfed with the, the cool stuff you're working on that you're seeing like you're seeing the stuff you're designing be put into place. And now you're like my my equipment or my design is actually, you know, building stuff. So it, it really didn't dawn on me at that point that I was working so many hours. Um so really the ROI wasn't there. So I was probably making less per hour than I probably should have been, but you know, whatever. Um, but my hard work. But I don't know, you, can you quantify experience? Can you quantify ex- exactly. all the skills you're working? Not quantify, no, I think that's the right word. Yeah, I mean, you can't assign a numerical value necessarily. Mm-hmm. A dollar value, there you exactly. go. Exactly, I mean, exactly. So, I mean, this would be, 
you know, I was doing PMing, I was doing PEing, I was doing application because it was a small group that I was in in this subset that I had to do all these things. So management saw that, and I got put into some programs uh, for the company. They were like, "Do you want to apply for this stuff?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" So one was called the Youth Management Team, um, and the Youth Management Team was everyone in this company. Now, this company was also owned by an Italian company, but I'll get to that. So this company was based out of Sweden. And what they did was they chose seven people out of 1,500 to be on this youth management team. So I was selected and um, I got to- You're one of the seven people. Yeah. So because of- you know, what, do you what do you attribute that to? I mean- If you had, if you had a guess, what, what, how did you beat out, I'm not even going to do the math, 1,493 other people? Because of all the people that I worked with, because of all the things that I took on. I mean, people knew me at that point in the company. Even if I didn't work with them, they knew me and they knew the work I did. So it was the hard work that paid off, right? I mean, at that point, it was the hard work that paid off that really got me to where I needed to be because other people could vouch for me in other countries, like in Europe, that they they knew me by emails, by phone calls, by whatever, because they knew they could always reach me, you know? So they're like, oh, he's dependable. He's there. He works hard, you know? Uh, just the engineering work that goes with it. So, um, so yeah, so I got to mentor under the CFO of the company for a year, um, which was really cool. Um, how, in sales, how big is this company? Like revenue wise per year? Uh, this company I think is like 200 million, but the company that owns it's 2 billion. Okay, so I mean, when you're talking about a CFO, this guy that you had personal mentoring from, is like he's 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 CFOing some really big numbers, really big right? numbers, yeah, really big numbers, and you know he his next job will be the CFO for that two billion dollar company. So, um, and he taught me a lot, so that was really good. But and then with that, what did he teach you? What did, no 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 no, you don't get to skip over <laughs> what a CFO from a two hundred million dollar company. So he he taught you a lot of good stuff. So what was the one thing that you would say you took away? He uh, wanted because I'm I'm trying to benefit here. I mean, you had access to a CFO. <laughs> Chief Financial Officer for you listeners, you had access to that. So, I mean, teach what did you learn? Share so, something with me. Uh, at the beginning of when we started, we said, okay, you teach me, you you have me do something for you and I will do something for, you, you know, he. I do something for him, he does something for me. So, I really wanted to learn about mergers and acquisitions because I didn't know much about the process of how companies buy other companies. Um, so, that was his, you know, goal to me was to teach me about mergers and acquisitions. But for him, the stuff I did, I did a lot about understanding how full business units work and the profits and loss that go inside of them, um, how that's all calculated, how it's all managed, and then making decisions as to where to save money globally. So I learned about how global companies work, right? So how things are interrelated, um, how we can move manufacturing from Malaysia to Europe, or how we can stop moving product some production in Europe and move it to Malaysia, uh, depending on what the product is, understanding skill sets, right? So understanding how skill sets differ from country to country. So it might be more expensive to build it in one place, 
but you'll get a better product if you build it in one place versus another. So what is that value of quality associated to that? Right. So it may not work in the numbers, but if it works in sales, you're making up for it. And then really understanding top line versus bottom line. Right. So how does, you know, your top line sales versus what your uh, EBITDA is going to be at the end of the year? Right. How, what matters more to certain people? Right. Because some, some CEOs, some board members care more about total sales versus what your profitability is. Um, and then some people are more concerned about, you know, how much of your EBITDA are you actually putting, sorry, your profits, EBITDA, uh, earnings before income and taxes. Um, but so you, how much are your profits are actually putting back into your company? How much are you holding in cash? Uh, understanding cash flow for a company? Holy crap. I didn't realize how many companies are struggling so hard because they don't have good cash flow. And not having good cash flow, um, and this is all really interesting to me because for me, I'm like, I'm just developing manufacturing systems and now I'm understanding how global companies work. And this is all yeah, that's within awesome. the aspect of a year. And it was really cool. So, um, you know, a, a lot of that was, was going on, but so at the same time, before I got into that, the parent company that I worked for had another program, um, <laughs> for, uh, a leadership development program. So I got put into that where we had to develop a new product for the company. Um, and, uh, and that was kind of cool. So I got to do that. I got to go to Italy. Um, we got to go to Europe. Um, and this youth management team, I also got to go all over the place too. I was in Malaysia. I was in Europe. I was in uh, well, Sweden, Spain, uh, Italy, uh, France. Uh, I got to could just go all over. I mean, it was traveling all the time, all over Europe. It was a wonderful year. And while doing this, I also had to do my other job. So um, it was just it was just great opportunity because of the work I put in, though, right? I mean, I didn't get those opportunities just because I sat around and you know came in at eight, left at five. It was because I put fourteen hour days in, and I got to travel the world. So I think that's another aspect of you know my pay was I probably spent twenty to thirty grand in travel that year, and I didn't pay a dime of it. I got to eat the best foods, drink the best wines. I stayed in Paris. I stayed in Sweden. I was in Stockholm. I was in, you know, Bologna, Italy. Um, and it was fantastic. Um, and then that year with part of that youth management team, um, I worked with another engineer out of France and we developed a, uh, a new uh, application for our service team uh, to use so that our customers can contact and we developed this whole app that would work within our company's app and then integrate into uh, other systems that I ended up winning the 2017 Innovation Award for my company. So that was just another feather in my hat right there. So so where was this? This was like a global competition. I mean, what was the scope of this actual competition? So it was won? based on anyone in the company. Uh, you don't apply for it. It is based on what the CEO, uh, CTO, and uh, sorry, COO, and uh, a couple of the other top business leaders, uh, the region leaders, so North America, uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, and Asia determined. So they all got together and they kind of, it was a global management team. They determined what was best there. So, and they, they get all these ideas brought up to them all the time. And we actually showed that we could be profitable in like six months. So they ended up implementing it. Um, this is also the time that I quit. <laughs> so I, I ended up leaving that job. 
Um, but yeah, so I, I, I received that award and it was, uh, it was, it was cool. So they, they chose mine because they liked what I had to offer and what it could do for their company. So. Which brings about the obvious question. Why did you quit? <laughs> uh, so I told you I was making 75. Um, yep. I, I don't want to say numbers just because I, I don't want, if anyone Googles my name, it may come up, but I made, I understand. Yep. I, I started, remember I told you before that I would always do interviews and kind of go out and see what the market's offering. Yes. I was highly, yeah, I was highly underpaid at that job. Um, Highly. So is it safe to say you would write, you would, did you listen to the interview with me and my brother-in-law, Mark? I did. I did. Okay. So he, you guys are, once again, this, I'm, I'm really enjoying this podcast because there's, Things that successful people do, and I know um, if you listen to that, Mark, you know, is all about taking interviews just to keep yourself in tune with the market demand. So you are living proof of his theory that you all of a sudden discovered that you were highly underpaid, yeah. which is yeah. uh, so you're you're fully on board. Your advice to the young professional, or really the professional, and and, and not even a professional. I mean, a, a blue collar worker. I mean, anybody. You should always be in tune and taking interviews with other companies just to make sure that. You have a, a pulse on the market. Are you fully on board with yes, that? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, <laughs> it has to happen. Um, I mean, you're you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't know what your value is in the market, especially in the corporate world. Um, now, at this time, uh, I don't know how much overlap you want, but this is about the, before I quit, um, about a year before I quit, I was I started realizing how much underpaid I was. Um, and because I was in these – Man- youth management team, the, the leadership development programs. I it was stated in when you join these that after you're done, you'll get promoted. Like this is part of this, right? You do this for a year. You you know you work all these hours. You travel the world. You work your other job while you're doing this other stuff. Um, so you know it's hard to be six hours ahead. You know in Europe and then also having to deal with California at you know two in the morning in Europe when California is at five o'clock there. You know what I mean? Like it's not an easy thing to do, but you did it because you knew what the outcome was. Well, I got the, the string along. Um, now at this time I was also doing robotics. So I, I moved up just from automation into robotics because we were just getting started of it. And because I was in these programs, I met these people who were just starting robotics in other countries. So we were talking and, you know, I got trained and all this stuff and, you know, it was great. I mean, that company was fantastic for me. I'll be honest, even though I was underpaid, that company was fantastic. I mean, they didn't even have to pay me much more and I probably would have stayed, but they, I mean, I got to, I I got trained in a bunch of different robot stuff. Um, I got to go to trade shows where I got to learn all this other stuff. They took me, I mean, I even did a presentation at, uh, it's a thing called pack expo in Chicago. It's one of the largest trade shows in the country for this industry. Um, and I did a, uh, a 20 minute presentation in front of a bunch of people, I got the call two days before. They're like, you need to go do this because the person who was going to do it uh, doesn't want to, you know, can't do it or whatever. So I went up and I did a presentation in front of people just on robotics. Um, and it's it's opportunities like that that I got because of the work I put in because people knew me all over the world and people knew who I was. So, you know, that's – it's stuff like that where it was really cool. Um, 
and that's kind of, but at the same time, I knew I was underpaid. So I started trading at the same time, right? So, <laughs> so now not only am I working all the time, I'm trading and trying to do this stuff and, you know, whatever. Trading in the stock market. Yeah, sorry, trading in the there. stock market at that time. And, uh, you know, you go watch the other podcast, listen to the other podcast if you want to know that story. But so anyways, so I'm working because I wanted more money. I was like, how do I get more money? You know, what else can I do? So then I got to the point where I'm like, look, I need something here. They're like, okay, well, it is what it is. You know, you know, six more months, you know, let's just get through this rough patch and then, you know, we'll, we'll do something. Six more months goes by and I'm like, look, something's got to happen here. And they're like, yeah, you know, we don't think you're ready, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, fine. You know, that's, don't tell me I can't do something. Right. Cause I don't like being told I can't do something. Cause I, I work my butt off to do what I need to do. And I mean, it was the same thing. It, it felt like the same way when I left Penn state, where people are like, why are you doing this? It doesn't, you know, you're, you know, it's, it doesn't make sense for you to do this right now, or you can't do this. It's not the right path. So I ended up finding another job. Um, at this point I was, I was heavily into, you know, robotics. I was, you know, I'm, I'm all on board on robotics right now. Um, if you're not doing robotic automation in your companies, you're not going anywhere you won't be around in five to 10 years. So um, uh, anyone who's doing manufacturing, let me know if you need a robot. <laughs> um, so, but the next aspect of it, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, so what can I do? Um, I find a job for a machine vision engineer. Um, and it's an, it's an application engineer as well, but it's a senior role, um, paid more. It was fantastic. It was about 20% more. Does that math work? Sounds about right. 20, yeah, maybe 20% more, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, it was under six figures, but it was damn close. Um, so I get this job there and, um, well, just a real quick, would you uh, again agree that you having the masters, uh, yes. contributed to them? Okay. Yes. 100%. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that was, I mean, because I, w I was considered f for it because of that, um, it wouldn't have been without it that I didn't get it. I mean, and I think the masters also helped with a lot of these management programs at my last company to get into a lot of that stuff. Um, I mean, that helped greatly. Um, and that was, and that was the payoff I was looking for, right? It was that piece of paper that said, yeah, you have a masters, you're qualified to do this. Right. And it wasn't that my main, my masters was in machine vision engineering, but I had a masters. Right. So just having it in and it was worth it to get them. Yeah. Yeah. And it was worth it to get the masters because you see these people, you know, they get their four year degree. There's no job. OK, let me go get my master's degree and there's still no job. Oh, let me get my Ph.D. And then maybe there's a job while they swim in, you know, over one hundred thousand dollars of debt. Exactly. So I, I just keep hammering that home, uh, listeners, because, you know, all master's degrees are not created equal. But, you know, go, you know, paying for something in this situation, that's why I hesitate to call it a debt of any form, because that that's what a, a good investment into your education looks like is paying ten thousand dollars, you know, opened all these doors for Brock. So this is this is good stuff. So, I mean, you, you obviously took the job at the robotics place and you're making 20 percent more. And is is that the company you're currently at? Yes. OK, so. um so where it is then, so, okay, so I get this job and at this point I'm burnt out. I'm tired. Um, my wife is, she knows how upset I am and frustrated I am. Cause I mean, I, I 
put my heart and soul into this company to really get ahead. And at this point, I'm like, you know what? I just, I just want to be an all-star engineer. You know, I was, I like to put it to a basketball reference. I wanted to be Kobe Bryant, not Phil Jackson, right? I didn't want to go ahead anymore. I was tired of, you know, I didn't tired of trying to go on that fast track to, to upper management and all this stuff. So I'm like, let me be Kobe Bryant. Who has more fun on the weekends, right? Kobe Bryant or Phil Jackson? Kobe Bryant just watches Phil tape or film tape and. You know, Phil Jackson just has to has to manage the whole basketball team and has to manage people who are terrible as well. You know, so I was like, let me be Kobe Bryant for a while. So I get this job and I'm like, this is awesome. It's you know, it, it's enjoyable. I'm doing machine vision because I think the next step of automation is being able to give sight to robots, right? So being able to to allow robots to see. So that's really what I'm focusing now in my career is how that works. I mean, I have an overall goal and I'm pretty sure I've reached all the goals I want to. So I'm kind of thinking where my next step is, but I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I, <laughs> so right now they see mathematically, Correct. right? They, there's the X, Y, Z access, all that oh, sort of stuff. Oh, it's even more than that. I mean, it's e- yeah, even more, yeah, you can my, I'm trying to think back so to, much different things. And so a camera but it, sensor, but it's all basically math and how to calculate space. Is Correct. that a yeah, fair? So, okay. Uh, think about so pixels do, of a team. How do you see, how can you take it beyond that? Cause this so robots, really robots work in a sense where, um, let's take a normal six axis robot, right? There are, there's multiple planes that are always fixed. You have the base of the robot. You have that plane. You have the plane of the tool head. So that's the end of the robot, right? And then you have the, wherever the robot is working in. So you have the object space. So that space is basically, that can be any kind of X, Y, theta, in space where that robot needs to go. Now, the problem with that in manufacturing is to have a robot work accurately is everything has to be fixtured. Um, And as a process engineer, you probably know that fixtures cost a lot of money, especially when you have a product change because now you have to change your fixtures. So, um, but that's how things are done right now. I mean, that's how a lot of this is done. So what machine vision does is it allows you can drop a pen, like take this for an example, like think about putting a pen on a table and then picking that pen up, right? So how do you realize that there's a pen there? You have depth perception, you have angles, you can see where it's at, your hand moves in a way that goes down and then you use your fingers to clamp it and pick it up because you can see that. A robot only- and you see you see light reflecting off ex- of it, which is how you see the object in exactly, the first place. Exactly, yeah. So, so okay. if you can't determine where that pen is in space, the robot is only going to go to the same place every time because you program a robot based on where it needs to go. Now you can say, okay, kind of, you know, you can give it some tolerances and say, okay, pick up in this general area and then close down slowly until you pick it up. But if you don't, if you don't give it live data saying, okay, now this pen is now rotated 45 degrees and is sitting at, you know, uh, your Z height is now from minus one to plus five and it's, you know, the X, Y is blah, 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 blah. You know, you're not going to be, a robot's never going to be able to pick it up. It's why actually bin picking. So um, if you have uh, a, a, a box full of balls, let's say, and you need to pick a ball out of it, that's the hardest thing for a robot to do. And it's the hardest application right now machine vision is having, um, is being able to pick out of a bin. Amazon actually has a competition open for anyone that can do that. And people don't, it can't, it's, it can be done, it's slow. So it's more cost effective for a person to go and pick that ball out of a box. Now, uh, any ball or a specific ball? It, sure, 
yes, no, doesn't matter. Um, you can program based wait, on so what wait, you wait, need. Wait, it to wait, be. wait, wait. So, so a box full of balls for a robot to pick out any ball at yeah. all is very, very challenging? Yes, because it's never really? in the same spot. Because think about it, because it's not in the same area. It, it, there's never, it, there's, it's never going to be the same. And to be able to find those contours and to be able to know how deep into the box, then you have to think the robot arm, it doesn't work like our arm where we can manipulate our arm however we want to reach into that box. Right. You have to program everything inside of it to say, okay, now you have to avoid the the all four corners and all four sides and you have to get in there a certain way and you have to come out a certain way, right? So there's that that's involved in it. And then they have to know how deep in, right? And then after you pull a ball out, what happens to the rest of the balls? All the balls start rearranging and reshifting themselves. Right, everything So shifts. now you have yeah, to take yeah, another yeah. image and you have to do that whole new calculation again. So there's so, so that makes much sense work. why it would be possible but super, super slow because it's got yeah. to quote unquote realize the environment in order to find interesting oh, yeah. now that you explain it that makes perfect There's sense so but much i would have never i would have never have thought that yeah that's that, that's fast all the non-engineers are <laughs> but you know what here's another underlying theme deal with yeah. it okay this is interesting conversation so um wow that's some good stuff that that's like a whole another podcast we could have just on i feel like robotics oh, and, and the yeah that, that, that's crazy. fascinating but yeah anyway so I'm, I'm doing this and um Let's see. I started in. I started after right after July fourth in twenty seventeen, and uh, that January we went to Italy, and uh, you know because it was a yearly sales meeting. Everyone in the company goes to Italy to the home to the homeland, and you know we all talk and blah blah blah. It's a week in Italy. It's fun. It's it is what it is. Um, so there, I found out that my boss is taking a higher position. Um, and to circle back to your point, did the masters actually help? Yes, it helped because I found out that my boss hired me to take his position. Ah, yeah. So nice. he knew he was grooming me to take his position the whole time because I'd always have these conversations because conversations with him about management styles, because I saw so much at my last job that I was able to really talk corporate language, right? I mean, there is a, there is a corporate speak that you can, you can talk and there's a way that you can talk to really interact with people in corporate lives about, you know, it's, it's a complain kind of, yeah, we can do things better, but it's just not going to happen because it's the corporate world. So, um, you know, and it, it kind of worked out. I interviewed, I kind of went through the process. Um, you know, I put together a business plan for my new manager before, while I was interviewing saying, here's the problems I see, here's the problems I can think I can fix. Here's where I'm going to need help with. Um, here's where I see what's going to happen in the first month, second month, third month. Here's what I see in six months. And no one else did that. I did though. And because of that little extra step and that little extra work I did, I got the job. So even though my boss recommended me for the position, it was my new boss who really had to hire me. And it was the work I did to really kind of do that. And at that point, I really had no conversations with the guy um, other than a few, hey, how's it going, you know? Um, but it was the, it's the extra steps, right? It's the extra steps to get into that. So again, with that job, that took another bump. Um, and that, I mean, I will say it's well worth it <laughs> to get your master's um, because and to really get your degrees, but to be conscientious about it because you know now it's uh, now it's paying off. So yeah, absolutely. And just to really drive the point home, Brock is not saying a master's degree is great. 
in certain situations where you consider the numbers, you consider what it can actually get to you. But I assure you, there are plenty of masters and PhD programs out there that the only thing it gets you is a load of debt and a, a, a paying job that doesn't match up anywhere close to what the actual debt is. Um, and I, can you are you are you over six figures yeah. now? Okay. Yeah. You and look at the you're, chat. You're, <laughs> I did see that. I was just I want I wanted to yeah. politely convey that to listeners yeah. that uh, you are you are up over. And I will say it's not like he's just slightly above a hundred. He he's a good solid chunk above a hundred. And to reiterate, because some of the arguments and I, I figure out or I figure you know the best way to kind of refute arguments is kind of let's just tackle them head on. At no point through any of this. Was your dad, uncle, brother, grandpa, neighbor, some sort of hierarchy in any of these companies where you had some sort of inside track because you knew somebody that was a friend or family member? It's not like you were born with some silver spoon in your hand where you could just kind of pleasantly, you know, ascend the corporate ladder of a family business. None of that was the case, right? My dad uh, was a maintenance guy for a hotel. So he had no connection to the industry I'm in. So, um, you know, they didn't pay for my school. I paid for my school. Um, you know, they helped me out when they could. You know, I, I would live the lower middle class, maybe middle middle class lifestyle through life. So, no, they, they did not help me. I, you know, I depended on them for support. Right. Um, and after my dad saw what I was doing with my job at, you know, my first job and how well I was doing, he understood that, you know, the path I took was really worth it. And he's always been supportive of me at that point. So, um, I mean, it, it's one of those things where, you know, family should be there for support. I feel um, emotional support. If they can help you out and if that's the lifestyle you can live, that's great. Uh, I wasn't blessed with that opportunity, unfortunately, um, or fortunately. I don't know. I mean, uh, my hard work came from my parents. So, you know, it is what it is. And now I'm, I manage a team of uh, engineers and I think it's great. I mean, there, there are people I worked with and people I respect and people I can count on. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool job right now. I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. So. Yeah, one of my biggest pet peeves is, because I'm not saying that it doesn't exist where somebody's born with a silver spoon in hand, or you know the only reason they are where they are is because it's a family business that they just kind of rose to the, but you, you can't take like a couple of those instances and then just be like, see, that's how it works. No, that's not how it works. That's how it works in, in, in some situations, but here we have Brock where that was, I, I love how you encapsulated everything, Listen, my dad was a maintenance guy at a hotel. Everything else came from what he's been talking about, hard work, ambition, uh, joining teams when he didn't have to join teams. And that's, you know, that don't fall into that negative mindset of, oh, well, the only way you can get up over six figures a year is you have to, you know, you, you have to know somebody. Well, no, you don't have to know anybody. You want people to get to know you because of all the attributes that Brock has, uh, has illustrated. Now, to kind of, end things off for looking at the time, you manage a team of engineers. And once again, you're being a little too humble here. How many, I mean, you manage like a lot of people, like isn't it, oh, it's like 15 people it's or something? It's supposed to be 15 by the end of Q3. So I'm hiring right now. So any engineers out there, you are, you are, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> so you are hiring. Yeah. You are somebody that hires, have you hired people in the past? Yes. yes. So I went oh, from like seven, now I'm at 10, just bringing on 11. So I've got four more to go. So. Okay, so let me ask you, 
is it your decision or is yes. it uh, some sort of bureaucracy? It's okay, my decision. It is your decision. Yeah. So it's day, not like it's a bureaucracy decision. of... Yep. No, my decision. Um, now, you know, HR and my boss will interview them. Um, I mean, my process is I do the first interview over a WebEx or some kind of, you know, video chat for, you know, half hour to an hour, depending on how long we get along with or a phone call. And then I bring them in or I go to them um, to one of my remote offices and I have them interview with my team. So I have my employees interview them because I want to make sure my team is going to get along with the guy. I have them interview my boss and I have them interview with HR as well. And I do another interview with them as well. So I'll sit in in certain interviews and ask certain questions and things like that that I didn't ask in the first one. So, Okay. So the question that I I think I'm going to keep asking people uh, that hire people just because this is uh, always fascinating. But uh, and I know you, you've you heard this because you've listened to Paul's, but you have two candidates. Candidate A, like 4.0 GPA, but then, I mean, they they don't really have any jobs or it's just, okay, that's kind of a bare resume, but you do have a 4.0. Candidate B, I don't know, let's let's call it a 2.9, but they're like, holy smokes, they've, they've been doing this and they've been doing that. And oh, wow, now that they, they have kind of a, a job where they're sleeping, sweeping the floor, but hey, it, it's in the industry that they're, they have this degree in, and then they have a, a couple, you know, just random extracurricular activities. Who are you? I'm not saying who are you leaning towards out of the gate, just looking at pieces of paper. Uh, I'll give them both a chance, but I'd lean towards number two just because of work ethic, right? I mean, you don't want people on your team who only focus on one thing. You want people who are going to go above and beyond for you. Uh, you want people that can, you know, not only do their job, but then when I say, hey, I need you to take care of this for me they're going to go take care of it for you. You know, uh, people who are willing to do that and do extra things. So you might have a 2.9 GPA, but that doesn't mean that you're not doing a bunch of other things. So, you know, your GPA may fall because, you know, you have two jobs or you have a job and you play a sport and, you know, you now you have a bunch of different experiences. Uh, I, I'll take a recent example. Uh, I had a guy applied. Uh, it was, the resume was sent to me. Super brilliant guy. Um, but he had no experience in my industry. I mean, this guy was super smart. And then there's another guy. And I mean, he has a master's in engineering, all this stuff, whatever. And then there's another guy who has no degree. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I, I think that illustrates everything at, at the, at the, no, that's perfect. But that, this other guy has 10 years experience in the industry, but no degree. Who did I pick? I picked the guy with the experience. I mean, I picked the guy who who started from building uh, building panel or not building panel. What did he do? He built machines. So I mean, he he worked with his hands. He knows what's inside of this stuff. I have another guy. I mean, he has army experience, but he doesn't have a degree. I have another guy that's getting a degree but doesn't have one. Um, but I also have you know engineers that have masters in engineering. I mean, I, I have that gambit. But you know, to build a team out, you need everything. You know, you, you need all of that, but you know, it, you, you know, people who have been in the industry and know what they're talking about because they're going to come in and, you know, do what they need to do to do the job. Um, I, I always look for people who kind of, you know, start from the bottom and work their way up versus people who just, okay, I have this job and I'm doing this, I'm doing this, unless they're a really good candidate and they interview really well, that's a different story. But, 
um, you know, it, building a team out this large is, is kind of difficult because <laughs> there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of people saying you need to, uh, you know, you need to build your team. You need to build your team. Why aren't you hiring people? So, you know, you look at more candidates than you probably should, but it is what it is. So, um, no, yeah. One thing that I, 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 I think I picked up on and a, a key thing that you didn't necessarily use the word, uh, but is dependability. And my question is, because again, let, let's try to refute arguments before you know people can throw out the victim card and excuses. Well, I can't get a job anywhere because they require experience. Now, could experience be a sense of, hey, sure, I don't have necessarily experience in the sense of this exact job, but I have experience in the sense of dependability. In fact, here are some reference letters from my you know random jobs that I've had. And in those letters, if you were to see that there's a kind of an underlying theme of, yeah, this is a very dependable person. If you tell them to do a job, you know that the job is going to get done. And it, it, you, you just, you tell them once and it, it's it's going to get done. Does that- <laughs> Funny story. I mean, that, that's a way that I you can- I just brought on a guy, actually. He, uh, he has never been an engineer. And uh, I mean, he was, he was field service. So he did a lot of the installations and he did a lot of the repairs, but he got the job because of his work ethic in the past. You know, he got the job because he he busted his butt in things that he did in his past and what other people recommended from him. Um, it, exactly to your point. And you know what? He, he is a very valued asset on the team right now, and he's making a name for himself. And I hope he does great things in his career because I'm willing to help him and push him through and get him to the levels that he wants to get to because, you know, I'll, I'll get texts from him 7 o'clock in the morning my time. He's in Dallas, so that's early his time. Or I'll get texts from him at eight o'clock at night my time uh, about things he's working on. I respect that, right? I respect that kind of work ethic because that's what I did to get to where I'm at. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And at the end of the day, well, I don't have any experience, so nobody's going to hire me. That's kind of a mm -hmm. cop out because you can create experiences for yourself. Sure, maybe you can't get there right now, but you know, sometimes you you know, right now. Sorry, sorry, folks. Everything can't be right now. I get it. This is like a day and age of I want it now or else. But there's always opportunities to create experience for yourself. And I still remember at Honeywell when I was there, I, I would argue some of the, and this is coming like from somebody with a degree in engineering, but I, I think some of the smartest, some of the most efficient people that I worked with were those guys that worked in the engineering department, but there was no diploma hanging on the wall. They started out on the floor, they started working the machines. And, you know, after years and years, they're like, just come in the engineering department. Yeah, we know you're not an engineer by degree. There's no diploma there. But you know these machines better than anybody else. You know how to get things done because you've been in the trenches for so long. So I totally echo Brock um, and to you, you know, younger people. Now, again, it's not like these people just showed up for work on the floor and then one year later they're in and then the engineering department. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, it was years and years. Um, but the point is, if you just work hard, if you do what you're supposed to, it's amazing where life can take you and where opportunities can take you. Um, and that, that that's, that's fascinating how you, it's just weird yep. how, and that's, I, I'm really enjoying this because when you talk to other people, it's like, oh, I guess my experiences aren't that unique because that's kind of a common theme with certain situations out there. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm 31. I, I'm not that old, but I got to where I'm at um, by working hard. I mean, that's that's essentially what it comes down to. You know, work hard and take advantage no. of any opportunity that comes to you. 
Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, we're gonna have to talk some more, but we're over the two-hour mark. So, um, yeah, we're gonna wrap this. I'm sorry. Okay, you're at, you're building up to 15 members, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. I will okay. be there, though, by so, the end and, of the year. So. Okay, perfect. So, I feel like we could come shoot the breeze again, and you can just fill us in about... Maybe we can talk some more robotics, more team building, more what you're looking for. You'll give us some more stories, maybe why you hired certain people without naming those people type things. Yeah, sure. um, but I, I think that would be a, a good cover. I, assuming, did you have, was this relatively? This was, yeah. I mean, was it? This was I great. Was it? Yeah. Was it? Yeah, okay, no, cool. no, no. I mean, I, hey, uh, I think, uh, was it Paul? Is that the guy? Uh, Patty, Paul, or whoever yeah, yeah. his name is. Yep. I mean, he, he said something that, you know, that really made me want to be on the podcast. I mean, you've given so much to me and your and what you offer and your training and all this stuff and the community that you've built you know this is at least my small way of giving back in a way so no it, it's it, it's good I, like i said i'm motivated i'm fired up right now uh, if you were here i'd probably tackle you just because that made my football <laughs> mentality and adrenaline has kicked in so luckily you're not here right you know how like football players are shoving each other and yeah, stuff yeah. like that oh, yeah, you know sure. based, yeah yeah that, that that's what's kind of going on right now i would totally shove you <laughs> if you were here right now so this was a good time and i want to have you back uh let's be friends so if you're ever in michigan for sure let's yeah. hang out because uh as i've talked about in other podcasts you know with my brother mark and then paul i want to surround myself with beasts because if you're surrounded with beasts then you have no other choice to become a beast yourself. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, let, let, let's, let's be friends, uh, I'll okay? I'll teach you how to make that... creme brulee. <laughs> <laughs> don't even bring that up. For you listening, don't even, we're not even going to go there, but I should actually give it a shot. Act, oh, side note, but I, I kid you not, has your, your has your episode, yeah, yeah. your episode yeah. aired, right? Okay. Uh, but in the sequence of us recording them, because things got a little out of whack, but the next person we talked to, which has not aired yet, their dessert was creme yes. brulee. And me and Chaz were like, did you talk to Brian? How is this even possible? So it's not going to hit home in reality because of the, or, the the scheduling and how things worked yeah. out. But from the behind the scenes, it was just like, are we being punked right now? Like, is this some sort of troll? That's hilarious. That two in a row. I don't think we'd ever had creme brulee. And then all of a sudden, we gave you such a hard time and two in a row. Fantastic. I don't think it could have worked out any better That's than perfect. that. But uh, Brock, man, thank you so much for taking some time out of your evening as we recorded this. And um, yeah, uh, keep going, keep beast moding it. And w I definitely want to talk some more so that we can uh, just kind of, you know, keep up to date on, on how things continue to unfold for you. But yeah, age 31, you're doing well. Keep it All up, right, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening. Before I go, I want to just make your attention to a few things. First off, if you enjoyed the show, then make sure to help us out in the iTunes, especially if you could leave us a rating. That goes a long way and just assists me in getting the word out there. And I, I genuinely would appreciate it. Second, if you find yourself either in debt or just feeling like your, your personal finances are kind of out of control or could be much more efficient, then I would encourage you to go to moneywithclay.com and check out the Slab Money Method. That is the course that I put together as a former process engineer that outlined every single step, step by step by step with documentation, with forms to fill out, that'll put you on the path, the exact path I used to pay off $163,000 of debt and get myself to the point where not only am I debt free, but I am now able to build wealth and build wealth in an efficient uh, manner. So if you're curious and interested in that, again, moneywithclay.com and that is the slab money method. And no, this is not all some massive sales pitch when I say that it works, it truly does. And I back that up with more than words 
My action behind those words is that course comes with a one year money back guarantee. So if you try it out and you're not making any progress, you're not seeing any progress, then I will refund you the cost of the course, which is very minimal to begin with. And then finally, make sure to check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, just look up for Money With Clay and you will see us there. Again, thanks for hanging out. I'll see you back next episode.